It's a big growl and a small yay. Arr! Yay! Arr! Yay! <laughs> See, mine are the same as well. <laughs> Marsh. Arr! Yay! Yeah. Your, your growl is a perfect rectangle. Hello, it is the 28th of June, 2022, and you are listening, if you can believe it, to the 400th episode of The Crate and Crowbar. My name is Chris Thurston, and joining me tonight on this auspicious-ish occasion are Marge Davies. Hello. Tom Francis. Hello. And returning from wherever it is she's been, <laughs> it's Pip War. Hello. Hi. Hi. Hello. I've been we in are... the bin. I got in the bins. <laughs> See, mm. that's what I was going to say. I chickened out of saying from the bin <laughs> she's at the bottom of. <laughs> because I thought you'd take it personally. But uh, I- I'm glad things worked out this way. <laughs> Thank God we got there. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> to Pip in the bin. <laughs> I believe. Mean to go on. I believe, Pip, that you've been part of. Uh, all of the centenary episodes apart from oh. 100 this is mm. to say of the the you know the three previous times we've done this you were in two of them not an interesting <laughs> fact but it is true so it's good it to, it's, became it's good less interesting back. as you explained it like you <laughs> well, could have now... left it and tom made an ooh you know, <laughs> Tom sounded vaguely. Excited. Yeah, and I give and those out you, very rarely. <laughs> yeah, and and you just talked him out of it. It was. But now, now it's three out of four, right? Yeah. Now it's well. Three let's out see of four, how this yeah. goes. Well, it, it, is, <laughs> <laughs> it might edit you out. <laughs> um, might go. Might just go in. into town, get some, get some ice cream. All right, who, who, let's let's do a pointless bit of podcast history, and I'm sorry for the clicking. I'm just looking at our own website. Um, you you had a guest spot in in three hundred. So, Tom, Tom you and I, Marsh, yeah, yeah, Tom, you and I are the only people who've been in all 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 wow. four of these. So good to have you back as well. Actually, feels like it's been a while since we've spoken. Yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> I mean, it's just the sparkling conversation that I missed so much. <laughs> We've been doing this a really long time. I mean, it just doesn't frankly. feel like the right place to catch up, does it? <laughs> no, it doesn't. And frankly, it's a miracle we've got anything left to say. Um, <laughs> is everyone is everyone having a little drink to mark the occasion? Yes. I am. I'm having three drinks. Even though it's it's midday. <laughs> Calm I'm down. Doing my best. So, Tom, so given that you're the, currently the most the most westerly of us, I don't know why I picked you. I mean, it's I'm reading really left in the past. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> reading left and right on the world yeah. on the Mercator projection <laughs> yeah um, what are you drinking? I am drinking an IPA I don't like <laughs> nice so I'm really performing a great public service here um, I did drink a very healthy beer uh, first to like to you know get over the hump so that I'm ready for the beer I don't like because <laughs> I want to use up the beer I don't like before I move and I move next week <laughs> Wow, if, if I were you, I I would be well on, my, uh, particularly having a, a beer I don't like at, what is it, like two in the afternoon? I'd be well on the uh, way for a headache and a nap. 
<laughs> it's 10 to 1, yeah. I'm not planning Hell on getting yeah. anything done this afternoon. Nice. Perfect. Marsh? Uh, I went for a triumvirate of rum, tea, and water, and my calculation oh my was purely hydration-based for the last wow. two. That's a recipe for a big piss. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of things are, actually. That's one of the easiest recipes to make, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> The, in many ways, the first recipe. <laughs> <laughs> the oldest recipe. <laughs> the, in the, first, the, in the first cocktail. Um, <laughs> I haven't even had a sip of my drink yet, and now I really don't want to for some reason. Um, Hang oh, well, on, which of us is West? Uh, you are. Go. Oh, well, I've got a sparkling rosé cider from Italy. Wow. That that took a trip. Yeah. Well, it was, uh, I thought, a change from Prosecco. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, you don't think of um, Italy for cider, do you? No, No. but now I will. (laughs) (laughs) Well done, Italy. (laughs) And I am am drinking Welsh whiskey um, from a mug that looks like a flamingo that I got from the zoo. On my birthday. Oh, nice. (laughs) Normal ones all round. Uh, Cheers. So what we'll do in this episode of The Crate and Crowbar, uh, to mark the occasion, is more or less just record an episode of The Crate and Crowbar. Uh, And we're going to start, as we ever have, sometimes with some news. But this is fun because we we can make a link here from this episode 400 all the way back to episode 100. Uh and tom f's discussion of uh is it tis or tis i can't remember nonetheless zactronics there's news tom yeah um mm. it's fun but it's also very sad <laughs> because <laughs> no um the uh zactronics itself is shutting down there is a, they have one more game coming called B- last call bbs uh, which is sort of a collection of games um and then they are no more uh, they called it their last game, and it was one of those things that, like, they're pretty clear. They said, this is our last game. And then almost everyone, myself included, was like, but wait, what do you mean by last game? Do you mean, like, it's the latest game? Or, like, in the fiction of the world, it's kind of, like, their last game? <laughs> no, 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 it's our last game. <laughs> I think it was just a, a real surprise, because they've always just been ticking along. Uh, especially when, a, like, um, a developer does, like, I mean, they so much have their own thing that there's a, a genre name for it. It's that the Zach-like. Um you kind of assume they're very happy doing it. Um, and actually, sounds like the opposite is true. I mean, not, not that they're unhappy, but just that um, Zach said that he's kind of sick of just making the same game over and over again and that it's got very hard to make anything else. And so it's such a weird story because we've been sort of following this and um, sharing this news between us. And it, the story has changed several times because it came, first came to me as, okay, Zachtronics is no longer... And then looking up why and what, and it turns out like a month ago, he gave an interview on, on a stream where he says, oh yeah, because I'm uh, actually going to start teaching. In fact, I've already started teaching. Um, and then Kotaku did a piece on it in which he says, oh yeah, I, I, I was going to switch into teaching, but the timing messed up so badly that I'd started teaching a year ago. I still haven't finished my last game. And now I'm already thinking of getting out of teaching. <laughs> so it's like, what? <laughs> this is like, he's, he's finishing his second career since finishing game development, but also hasn't finished game development yet. <laughs> but yeah, he's basically, it's, it's hard to read between the lines. I don't really know what's, what is going on exactly, because he says he kind of now sees game development as probably what he'll do in the future. 
but I guess not as Zektronics. Um, and they seemed happy as a team and everything. So uh, I don't really know exactly what the thinking is. I suppose it's probably just like needs a break. I also know they had some kind of arrangement with this alliance company that they were part of. Um, and so presumably that's that's at an end too. Um, but yeah, one thing about Zektronics I didn't realize until I actually talked to them in person <laughs> is that I just assumed that like these games are so, they have such a big cultural footprint in our circles. Like, you know, when a new Zektronics game comes out, it's such a big deal. Um, my Twitter feed will be alight with it. Um, but I didn't realize they'd never really had like a big hit. Like none of them are actually mega mm. successes. They just all sell, I think, probably a similar amount to the probably to the same people. Um, and you know, that's a good business model. Most people would be very happy to have that that business model. But um, yes, yeah, it's, it's a surprise that they never actually sort of hit it big. Hmm. It's weird that they say that they they're sick of making the same game because. They haven't always made the same game. They made Eliza, right? Which was uh, yeah. a complex visual novel. Although I think that, that did have weird. some kind of mini game in it, which was quite Zach. Yeah, it, it had um, a solitaire variant in it, which all of their games have, or I think <laughs> nearly all anyway. Um, and that was the part of Eliza I got really into. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I keep discovering, I keep getting really into to, uh, Zach-likes uh, twists on... Um, uh, on card games, thinking they're original inventions, then finding out, oh, that's just free sell, or that's just this other thing. <laughs> like, just turns out I've never played those classic games before. Um, <laughs> yeah, Liza's one was especially fiendish. And then they also did that um, time travel RTS, was it an RTS, or maybe a turn based strategy game, uh, kind of similar time to Eliza, uh, where you're like, you're sort of, I think you're the American military, but you're fighting the other American military from a parallel mm. dimension or something. Um, mm. Oh, did that come And out? way back when, they also did Ironclad Tactics, which is a, another tactics I game. I reviewed that played. way back when. Oh, really? Yeah. I get the impression that's sort of the black sheep of the family. Like, they sort of, <laughs> I think a couple of times Zach has said, we probably won't make another game like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, if it was, if I remember right, it was, had a sort of, it was like a strategy deck builder kind of thing slightly ahead of its time i guess but oh, really? not with the impact that that entire genre would subsequently go on to have obviously through things like so this byron monster train yeah if you think about it in many ways if you were going to quit on a game like make one last game and quit really magnum opus would be the title you use last <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> What a shame After they didn't quit earlier. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I'm saying is that this is a perfect opportunity to make Magnum Opus 2. Hang oh, on, yeah. but they haven't, have they? Because it was Opus Magnum. True. So they You're could quite right. still. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I actually, when you said Magnum Opus, I just heard Opus Magnum in my head because I was thinking like it's, it's good both because... Um, uh, because of the meaning of that phrase, but also because it's backwards somehow. That kind of feels fitting. <laughs> mm. <laughs> If you were to make one final game, Tom, what would it be called? Fuck, good question. Um, I feel like I've got to design it first. Because <laughs> I, I, I think I don't want to... Like, the defenestration thing is has been a fun motif, and uh, it's I love things breaking windows. I kind of don't want every game I ever make to be just about that. <laughs> I kind of want to like <laughs> branch out at some point. <laughs> just make so you want to have made a game. game about something else and then... Yeah. Putting yeah. in windows, maybe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I My friend Nels Anderson uh, hastily DM'd me to, to give, bring me important news recently, which is that if you throw someone in through a window, it's still called defenestration. The word defenestration means what? both those things. <laughs> which blew my mind, obviously. It just means like, yeah, breaking a window, right? 
or like does it yeah de-windowing yeah it feels weird because the d but, part feels but like should it sort be... of removing somehow would, would it not but should it, well disembarking and embarking are different things right yeah but that's because it's to do with like that's dis not d i know but i just feel like <laughs> enfenestration should be well, what a about thing. deplaning is only ever getting off a plane making isn't it? a window yeah right? deplaning but like the the thing that you're deing is the window <laughs> oh no <laughs> <laughs> I think we've just found the game that gets Tom cancelled. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but like, the, ultimately, the thing that is being—it's my last game for a very different reason. <laughs> <laughs> removed is the window, so it doesn't matter what direction you're doing it, as long as it gets destroyed, right? <laughs> yeah, but, no, I, I, I think that's that's valid, and that's probably. Hang why. on a minute. If someone gets thrown through an open window, is that defenestration? No. When, what is it? Entering. What? No, it's not. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> well, like, you, you're if, just if they're inside the building in. and then they're not. What's a window? I don't think I know anything <laughs> anymore. But See, like... I would have said actually that throwing through an open window still is defenestration because like, I would the agree. Window, it's still the window. Like you didn't hit the glass, but you still went through the window. But isn't it to do with breaking a window? I don't isn't think it going out of a window. So I'm going to look this up. I mean, surely windows existed before the concept of glass, right? Glass, yeah. Is a window not just like an aperture, like a non-door, slightly elevated aperture into an enclosed space? That's what they were going to call the first operating system, is non-door aperture. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so the term was coined uh, in around 1618. Uh, Wow. It says on Wikipedia, it says it's the act of throwing someone out of a window. Out of a window. I am going to look at defenestration disambiguation in case... (laughs) Because oh, there is a no. there's a sort of um, major historical event that's called like the defenestrations of of Prague. I don't know if it's sixteen Prague. Hmm. I thought it was just like yeah, just breaking windows, but no. Um, yeah, the term was coined around the time of an incident in Prague Castle in the year sixteen eighteen, which became the spark that started the Thirty Years' War. Jesus, you've got to be careful who you throw through a window. Emergent. Um, so, <laughs> so presumably, it's being thrown out of a window. So, not in, in through a window. I feel like maybe that's the answer. Okay, so I want to, to unless unless clarify. technically every window is also the outside's windows. <laughs> I didn't know we were going back into definition. I was going to move on to the last game thing. <laughs> oh no. Well, okay, yeah. Sorry, I've, I've been buying you enough time, Tom. How are you doing? I, I think actually. Um, uh, now that I say, now I'm about to say this, I fear someone might have already suggested this to me. So I apologise if this is someone else's idea. But my last game should be about going around repairing all the windows. Mm. Mm. Window Glazier repair simulator. Sim. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Glazer Quest. Oh, nice. <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> nice. Well, we got there. Um, is that is that is that our full take on the electronics thing? I mean, yes, yeah, sad, uh, but I'm. I guess I'm happy for them if it's what they want to do. Well, I mean, um, I guess I agree that it's it is sad, but I also find it quite hard to pass because if it's sort of like Zectronics as a as a studio is folding up, but there are more games, that's potentially a good thing. And and their output is so varied that I'm not necessarily sure that I can tell what that means for the nature of those games. And if this was an opportunity to, you know, 
try a different career and discover that it's not for them and come back, then that's good too. So it is sad, but it's also confusing, like all <laughs> feelings. I feel like you shouldn't be too hard on yourself, Tom, from that statement at the beginning when you were saying that they'd announced their last game and then your response was automatically, yes, but when you say last game, what do you mean? <laughs> and there hasn't been a satisfactory answer <laughs> yet. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I think it's literally true that Zachtronics are at an end. So like mm. Zach might make stuff in future, but I don't think the team will get back together. Right. No more Tronics. Is what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. When they won an IGF, or when they were, or maybe they presented an IGF or something. Um, I think, I think they won for Opus Magnum. Um, uh, I didn't see this firsthand, but apparently Zach uh, came on stage. I said, I said, "Hi, I'm Zach," and then Matthew Burns, the writer, came on and said, "And I'm Tronics." That is very good. Shall we talk a little bit about the games that we've been playing? Yeah. Yes. Cool. I love the commitment. Um, Pip. Hello. Pip, why don't you, given it's been so long, why don't you start us off? Oh, um, well, uh, I was going to talk about Destiny 2, and then I thought that you might have searching questions like, what is the basic plot, or what are you doing? <laughs> so I thought I would change my answer to The Wild at Heart, which I have been playing the last day or so. Uh, having realised it has been sat on my computer for a while, and I haven't. What is The Wild at Heart? So, it is a Metroidvania, am I using that correctly? Where two children uh, run away to the woods uh, to escape various home life things, and uh, it, it, it turns into a kind of Pikmin fantasy kind of thing where you are collecting these little sprites that live in the forest and throwing them at um, rocks and uh, things that are in your way and uh, like collectibles so that they can um, do your bidding, uh, collect the things or destroy the things and let you access stuff while you are essentially helping um, put a team of forest protectors back together. Cool. What kind Ooh. of, what, what, I'm going to regret asking this. What makes it a Metroidvania? Is it the collecting of the little the little men? I thought that you might ask this because you <laughs> know how much I hate committing to uh, like genre type names mm. because I always sort of worry that I've got them wrong. But it's it's one of those things where you can go in different directions, but you know you go to the thing that you are supposed to go to first and then you obtain you know the ability to get into the the fire themed section and then by mm. doing that sort of thing you then get the ability to go into like an ice kind of area do you know what i mean like that's it right yeah that is yeah. basically it yeah yeah and then the if it's if it's mostly like moody science fiction and like big blue mushrooms that's a metroid and right. if it's Dracula's, that's a Vania. Okay. <laughs> so what am I doing? Is it like a um a, I think a it's a forest vania? Yeah, I think it's an Ori or a... in the blind forest. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the third we definitely like. Well, because grown... there's no vampires or future. I mean, there's a future, but I mean it's <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> 
So I feel like neither of the parts apply. So I feel that that might not help us because then we enter a, a an abyss of terminology. From... Well, we only just climbed out of one of them, so we can go back in straight away if you like. But like, I feel like I feel like the genre has gained like several wings in the last couple of years. One of them is like, um, Dark Souls, basically. Mm. Um, I don't like that, so it wouldn't be okay. this. It's not that. No. <laughs> <laughs> Boo. <laughs> um, uh, the other and the other is like uh, sort of nice, friendly folklore. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah, it's very that, like the art style and the sort of the plucky kids elements are sort of really putting me in mind of um, nights and bikes. Um, and there's like yeah and there's there are a cast of quirky characters that are not insufferable in the way that that phrasing makes it seem like they might be (laughs) they're just sort of kind of bumbling in quite a sweet way and like the even the kids escaping a troubled home life isn't too overbearing I kind of I don't necessarily like that kind of framing just because it's it's something that a lot of people have done and not with any great degree of nuance Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and so I was a bit worried that it was going to sort of bludgeon me with metaphor and things like that but actually it's been relatively light touch after the after the opening when you're literally in your house surrounded by you know the the ephemera that that explain the basic setup so yeah and then it's it's mostly you know you're talking to these weird creatures and you're throwing these tiny little sprites at stuff um so yeah i'm still trying to work out how to get into the into the freezy zone um and I currently have to make an NPC sick to progress. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> do you do that by throwing the little sprites at him? Or is that, or they're like kind of point and clicky sort of, you've got to bring him a, a poison stew sort of thing? Yeah, so there's an element of crafting, which is, you know, I'm mostly sticking to just making bombs that will open up <laughs> little areas um like like a cracked rock will be a thing that you can use a bomb on and access an area that lets you get some more materials that lets you upgrade the amount of um these little spritelings that will follow you around um but what you're actually doing with them is so there's a variety of stuff and it kind of depends on the the type so there are some that are fire themed so they're the emberlings and they will be able to set like little areas of uh prickle bushes on fire so that you can actually you know get past them instead of getting hurt by them there's also the ones that are kind of the vanilla ones that are resistant to poison mushrooms and can destroy them um there's also little puzzles involving pressure plates so you'll have to maybe throw five of them onto a pressure plate and you'll be standing on the other one um You're also, you're playing as a duo, so there's some interesting stuff there where if you're playing as um, the the character Wake, who you encounter first, he has like a kind of a a gust buster, which is 
you know, like the Ghostbusters have their vacuum cleaner thing. Um, so he can like <laughs> suck up stuff. That's um, Luigi, and... but yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and use it to turn um, little uh, pinwheels and stuff that will activate doors and stuff like that. And when you get Kirby, who is his friend um she has she gets like a lantern that you can use to try and defeat the stuff that comes out at night um because it's the the plot of the stuff that's happening with the forest is essentially that sort of the age-old story of the the thing that lurks or the the creeping darkness has gathered power somehow and you have to fight it back hmm. Is it pure yeah. puzzles, or is or is there like uh, a health? Do you die in the game? Is there like combat essentially, or is it is it fairly yeah. challenge free? So you can kick things, um, <laughs> and you can throw your spritelings to have little battles. So some of the enemies are, you know, blobs that that blob around, and some of their defensive stuff is to just swallow your spritelings, and so you know you're sort of trying to out. Um, so you're trying to have more spritelings attacking them than they can swallow and with uh, there's like some <laughs> frog-like stuff so you are throwing all these uh, spritelings at them but you're trying to do it at the cadence where when the frog jumps and lands again it it knocks them over so you're trying to make sure that that doesn't happen too many times or that the spritelings can you know um keep up an, a sustained attack um so that's kind of an interesting thing and you can make potions that make your own life easier but you better believe that i keep forgetting to do that um <laughs> so <laughs> my solution has basically just been to throw as many spritelings as i can at the problem <laughs> you and... are the zap brannigan of spritling management <laughs> wave after <laughs> <like a> wave <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> But yeah, and so, um, but they can die, and they, um, <laughs> you see their little spritling souls like emerging from oh, their God. bodies. Oh, um, the game does reassure you that essentially there's like a pool of spritling energy, <laughs> and that you are able to, you know, like if you collect these little, they're called pips. Um, so if you collect these pips and put them in a glowing tree stump, then you can summon their energy back out. So like it's it's essentially trying to make that Pikmin death stuff less traumatic. I think cowardice. That's what I think. I mean, they should have said yeah. they've gone to hell now, and it's your and fault. they feel pain. <laughs> but yeah, you can play the game on like a kind of a normal mode or a wanderer mode. So I picked that one because it's like the health stuff is less um challenging um because the the stuff that appears the enemies that appear will come over and like hurt you and if you get hurt enough you i i don't think there's ever like a game over but it's that thing of oh you wake up back at camp and your companion is like you know whoever you weren't playing or whoever didn't get like final blowed last is like okay well you know i dragged you home and and that's the point where you have to you know regather your stuff or like where you've lost some of your currency or supplies or whatever it looks super cute i really like the way it looks mm, yeah the art style is what attracted me in the first place and then i think it was just 
a rough time for trying to get my brain interested in single player narrative stuff so I ended up disappearing off into all manner of you know deep rock galactic and <laughs> destiny and things like that and I've only just and sea of thieves actually and I've only just made my way back to tell me a story <laughs> is it especially hard even whether that's puzzles or encounters or whatever it's not hugely but it does that thing or I have found every so often that I'm not entirely sure where to go next there have been a couple of times where I'm like you know where you just have to resort to trekking across a bunch of the map trying to work out if you've missed something or Mm. if there was some rock that you can now interact with or some thing that you now have an ability for to to interact but broadly it's very much been a case of just you know oh okay i i've done this thing and it has told me to come back to the the central hub or you know i've collected a thing and then my little shiny rock has has made a noise which is essentially the game's equivalent of a mobile phone um and you answer the rock and you talk to gray coat who is in charge kind of <laughs> so yeah it's but it is really cute and i really like it actually it's kind of hitting the spot what was it called again uh the wild at heart i haven't ever heard of it or seen anything of this game yeah me neither may of last year apparently (laughs) oh okay well (laughs) (laughs) we move in very different circles nowadays (laughs) what would you give it out of 10 um, I think I'm probably only about either a third or half, maybe, of the way through, but I would give it an eight. Mm. <laughs> what would you give it in noises? <laughs> like, oh, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. Thanks. It's pretty good. On their behalf, thanks. I guess. Sorry, <laughs> I wasn't sure who I was accepting for. <laughs> On their behalf, thanks to Pip. Mm, thank you, me, for mentioning it to people who hadn't heard it before. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> anyway, who's next? Marsh, I'm fully aware that you've you've only played nine minutes of a game. Is there anything striking you from that nine minutes of turtle bashing that you want to let us know about no but cool <laughs> it did make me think that i'm well up for a remake of the simpsons arcade game mm. that's literally the only thought i had in the nine minutes <laughs> that i played it is you that zoom. the one with little cars where you had a giant head or is that a different thing uh i think that might be a different thing no okay. there was like a beat-em-up side-scrolling beat-em-up arcade game yeah which was Whoa. really good i actually uh played it not quite all the way through then i ran out of money tragically like a minute or two from the end and <laughs> oh, then wow. some other kids bankrupt. came in and uh put the remaining coins in and beat the final boss while i stood there oh. watching but no that was fine i got to experience it <laughs> stolen valor indeed yeah. and that's our review of teenage ninja mutant turtles game <laughs> Wasn't it like it was something revenge? Shredder's it revenge. Very extreme. Yeah. It, what was he being? What what revenge Presu- is he seeking? Presumably, all the times he's been thwarted by the teenage mutant ninja turtles. But I just feel like at this point, that's just all in a day's work. Like he must be expecting it. 
Like what but has tipped you... him over the edge? <laughs> <laughs> I guess you'll have to play it to find out. I suppose. Presumably yeah. it will explain this. Well, yeah, I thought I mean... it might have got to that within the first nine minutes, you know, like it's the impetus, you know? Unfortunately not. No, it doesn't uh, it doesn't set him up and his motivations particularly well. <laughs> oh. Well, I mean I've got feedback for them. <laughs> <laughs> Why now, Shredder? Hmm? We exactly. <laughs> You've had basically I mean, thirty years. Yeah. Was this clan called the Foot Clan? It was. Or did I dream that? It was. A strange name. I think I'm going to butcher something here, and I'm, I'm going to go to the most dangerous place of all. The Turtles Wiki. The Turtles Wiki. <laughs> <laughs> Darkest the, corner. The, of the dark internet. web. <laughs> webbed foot hang on i'm i'm going into incognito mode to do a hack um no um so there is i'm gonna i believe is it was it jim lee that did teenage ninja mutant turtles the comics i can't remember this is why this is dangerous eastman and laird wasn't it that may well be true i how do people know this that's I what believe. I grew up on. I was yeah. big into turtles when I was a kid. Okay. <laughs> I believe. Oh, mm. Mm. No, you weren't? Uh, sorry, I, I'm, Eastman and Laird is in my head as a Turtles creators, but maybe that's not the comic. Maybe that's the, the animated show. I'm thinking specifically of the comic because I believe they're called the Foot Clan in the comic as a parody of the the hand in the Marvel Universe. Who were, because oh, there's that period in time where comics are it's like an order of elite ninjas, basically. Isn't there a claw? Uh, okay. Oh, the that's red cool. hood claw? The hooded claw? <laughs> no? Why is the claw wearing a hood? Hoods of the heads. Oh, no. It's a sleeve that was That's too a long. glove. <laughs> <laughs> These guys are wild. They've got hoods on their fing- hands. <laughs> that's a fingerless, those are fingerless mittens. Just, just admit it. It's a dishcloth. You're holding a dishcloth. They're wearing like hoods on their legs. It's weird. <laughs> Thank you, Pip, for running interference on this possibly erroneous thing I said about comics. That, that's the it sounds very convincing. I'm going to. Jim I Lee. believe that's true. Jim Lee, that's it. Yeah, I believe that's true. That um, That's why they're called that. Because I think they were themselves somewhat of a parody or a response to how popular uh, ninjas and, and kind of martial arts pastiche was in the comics of like the late 70s and the 80s. I believe that's what they were a response to. I could be completely wrong because I was never. I really like into that them. fact, so I choose to believe it. Thanks. Mm. That's also how the internet works. So um, <laughs> I think we've 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 achieved one internet and was a robust. Krang his boss. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Krang was the little brain thing inside the big robot man. Yeah. But why did would the robot he be have a name? Foot? I don't know. <laughs> I know. He was never referred to. I don't think. Yeah. Because I... Shredder, bring me the turtles. I think of them, now I think of it as Nixon and Spiro Agnew, because (laughs) (laughs) Futurama has those in a very similar symbiotic relationship. (laughs) Oh, God, yeah. Actually, Chris, could you go back to the Turtles wiki and find out what... I'm not on the Turtles wiki. Oh, well, I thought you were. I thought you were in incognito mode. No, I was lying. Oh. Uh, That was a bit. I was doing a bit. like the. I mean, because I don't click because... I've had to turn off my noise cancellation because if I have it on, it causes problems with the audio. Um, but unfortunately, I've got like the world's loudest keyboard and mouse. So mm. I'm, I'm actually not researching anything like the good old days. 
Wow. Um, okay. So that was really, that was genuinely off the top of the dome. So if it's true, be as impressed as that makes you. Probably some, <laughs> not a lot. And if it's wrong, that's my reasoning. That's why I feel that way. If you're wrong, I'll be shell-shocked. Oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, don't, it's been don't good knowing you guys. <laughs> 400 good episodes for a while. <laughs> don't apologize to me. I apologize to Shredder. 399 good episodes. Did we? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I only saw I'm not committing to that. two of them, so I'm going to say no. <laughs> <laughs> um. God, God. All right, so we've we've done tuna tuna turtles. Fuck it. Tina. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I broke myself with tuna turtles. <laughs> <laughs> we, 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 we've, we've assessed Tina Turner's tuna turtles. Um, <laughs> Shreddy's time, and um, it's time for whatever it is that Tom's been playing. I have been playing a couple things, um, but I'll talk about Citizen Sleeper first. Um, mm, I played that. It's great. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, I really like it. I played that and Norco, and I'll, I'll talk about Citizen Sleeper first because I like it more, um, and also because I finished it, whereas I didn't quite finish Norco. Um, but they've both been talked about kind of in the same breath as, um, you know, hot new narrative games that are well-written and have a sort of um, their own style and their own... Uh, slant both of them been compared to, to disco elysium i think it probably is more fair in the case of norco i didn't really get that vibe from from citizen sleeper but citizen sleeper is a um sort of cyberpunk narrative game set aboard a space station uh where you are playing a um i'm not sure whether to call you a cyborg or an android you're a sort of uh, you're a synthetic entity that was created to do work uh but you were kind of copied from a real human and so you have some real humans' memories, and you sort of ex- you sort of you know come at the world expecting to be a real human, but find that you don't quite experience it to the same fullness and, and richness that a that a human does. So you're in this very sort of liminal space of, of never quite feeling like you um like you belong or like you can uh, really live your life the way you uh, want to. And also you've escaped your corporate overlords. You were created to sort of do work, and you you broke out of that um, kind of slavery. And now you're at this kind of renegade space station where such people can go uh, for refuge. Um, but it's a initially pretty harsh place and you are constantly degrading. Um, every time uh, every time you sort of sleep, you lose some health and your health also determines your energy each day. And your energy is represented by dice. So at the start of each day, you roll, I think it's initially like six dice and or six, yeah. Um, and those are rolled at the start of the day. So you might get like, you know, a one, a two, two threes, a six, a five. And then as you go about your day and decide what tasks to do, you decide which dice to slot into those tasks. And it takes a while to get your head around it because there's this weird double chance thing going on. So there's obviously dice being rolled at the start of your day. There's a chance element to that. You could get all sixes. Um, but then even if you get all sixes, when you actually approach tasks and you plug a six into it, doesn't guarantee success in, in every task necessarily. It depends how hard the task is. And if you're, especially if you're plugging in like a three or a four, um, there's still a chance that that could fail or a chance it could succeed. So it's kind of a second dice roll after you use your dice. Um, but the main kind of uh, restriction is that you just only have so many dice in a day. There's only so much energy you can put into things. And you sort of have to decide where you want to put your best energy. And the difficulty of each task will kind of depend on uh, what skill it's testing. Uh, whether you have any aptitude for that skill or maybe a disadvantage in that skill. 
Um, and then also just how hard of a thing is it in the first place? Like, is it a difficult challenge on that scale? And the whole thing is very inspired by tabletop role-playing. I don't know, the creators didn't specify in, in the description which tabletop role-playing games, but I get a big Blades in the Dark vibe from mm, it because... Yeah. It's the dice pool um, system, isn't it? Where you take the, the the best result from a pool of dice and you... Oh, that's interesting because I, I actually didn't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> but I already thought Blades of the Dark because it has a lot of ticking clocks. Like everything in the game is represented by a sort of a, a clock that some of which do just tick up over time, some of which only tick up when you put work into them like you have one of your first contacts as a friend who just wants you to do some scrap work for him um and he has a debt to pay off and so each time you do scrap work it fills this clock that is ticking towards him being able to pay off his debt and at the same time you know you've escaped from this corporation who's hunting you and so there's a clock back at home that is just them hunting you and at some point that's going to fill and when it fills something will happen and that is how basically every quest and every event and every threat and every um uh thing going on in this world is represented um and it works really well. Uh, that is, uh, it's, it sounds maybe more pressuring than it is because the game is not real time. Um, time only advances when you do something. And most of these clocks don't advance over time. Most of them are things like, um, more like progress meters. Just if you do this, then this will happen. Some of them, the progress is good. Like the more you do this, you know, the closer you get to fulfilling a goal, either for another character or for yourself. Um, sometimes, you know, working in a bar for a long time, the clock that fills there just sort of, gets you familiar with the locals and gets you known and you just uh, make friends and stuff like that other times it's things like you know you're, you're stealing something or you're um you're you're skimming off some um corporation and the more you do it the closer you get to being detected so it's a clock you want to fill like most of the way and then stop short of that um it just turns out to be a really flexible system for managing all those things and the fact that you have a lot of kind of what's the word irons in the fire is that a phrase mm -hmm. um yeah, yeah. Uh, at the same time, you just have a lot going on. And so each one progresses fairly slowly and it's just, it's well balanced for you to kind of stay on top of everything. It always feels like there's a lot happening. You have some very big, scary main quest things of like, you know, the person who's, who's hunting you. Um, every time you hack, I, I played the hacker class. Uh, you get to choose your specialty at the start. Um, and every time you hack, something gets closer to tracking you and you don't know what that is. And, but you keep having these, these mysterious encounters with it. And so those those are two of the things that I was focusing on. Of like, okay, is there a way to get this person who's hunting me off the back? Is there a way to off my back? Is there a way to stop to be able to, you know, break free of this thing that's tracking me every time I, I hack stuff? Um, and while that's going on, there'll be often times when you can't progress that track anymore, and so you are going to the local noodle bar and working for them for a while, or meeting the guy who fries mushrooms at uh, this local <laughs> stall and and sharing stories with him. Um, so yeah, it all works really well. The, I found the dialogue, um, almost every, there's a lot of text in the game. Every time a clock does tick up an event actually happens, you go into kind of a, just a text mode, um, kind of like 80 days, um, where there's, there's a certain amount of choice, but to be honest, it felt like, I mean, there are choices in the story, but most, most dialogue choices are very just, uh, which way do you want to ask what the hell is going on? <laughs> which way do you want to ask about every single thing they just mentioned? Um, and all of those for me were twice as long as they needed to be. Like they were, I would always get through the first half of it pretty engaged and then be starting to flag and then be like, okay, is this going to go off much longer? Cause I think I'm going to start to skip now. Um, but to its credit, it survived the, like my test for narrative games, which is if they are too long and I start to skip shit, does that like completely break it? Because sometimes it does. And then the fact that I now don't know what's going on makes me less engaged in the rest of it. And then it's a, it's a snowballing uh, disaster. But this one, um, 
I think just a lot of these descriptions are just very sort of in-depth and colorful and trying to get trying to paint a really um particular picture of every little detail and I found I could just skip most of that stuff and it was fine and you know some of these some of these events are really uh significant and have high stakes and everything and so you know when you need to pay attention and when you don't uh but I really wish they'd just like since they have dialogue options why not let me choose whether to investigate and ask more about every fucking detail of this person's life and what they look like and what the background is like and what the the mood of the place is like uh, or move the fuck on <laughs> once I'm kind of tired of the conversation because I'm going to move the fuck on by just skipping all the dialogue but I'd rather know that I was only skipping optional stuff um, My experience yeah, it, was, it was so sufficiently different that I didn't even know you could skip dialogue <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit, wow Okay, well tell me what you were getting at it I mean, no, no, I, I, I think your take is perfectly valid. I just never found um, myself getting that impatient. I think there were a couple of occasions where there was quite a lot of, you know, a big info dump. Um, but on the whole, I thought the conversations, you got in and out of them pretty snappily. I don't, rem- huh. I don't remember a time, <laughs> in fact, when I was, uh, I was tapping my foot. But- it's really interesting because, Marsh, when you spoke about uh, Citizen Sleeper, the focus was almost entirely narrative and then yeah. kind of just about met. And then I think I'm remembering, right. We mentioned dice about 20 minutes in, which is, <laughs> I think really interesting. Cause I think they're both really valid. Cause like, this is a game that I was meaning to play the last couple of weeks. Actually it's on switch as well. And I think it'd be a good candidate for that. Uh, just have time. Um, but it's interesting that now, like I found myself convinced two different ways to play it. <laughs> One is that like, I really like that system as a way of like, making your way in a in having a a degree of of sort of you know a game layer and a narrative experience and also the 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 setup and the narrative seems really appealing but yeah very very different takes on it which is kind of interesting to observe from someone who's listened to two different articulations of what what the game is trying to do also apologies if you already talked about this marsh but did you have the issue i had where towards the end of the game when like 80% of those clocks have wrapped up, that it started to really kind of thin out. Yes, I'd done all the kind of critical stuff uh, yeah. right at the beginning of the game because naturally you prioritize the stuff which is going to be a personal threat to yeah. you. And then I found myself just going back and hoovering up a lot of fairly uh, menial um, things as though I was still kind of trying to scrape a living off the station when in fact uh, I'd become... I'd, I'd um, I'd become so proficient at um, stacking the decks in a high stakes gambling game by that point, but yeah. I was a billionaire. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, I got really good at that. I feel like it's so close to to being fine that that happens. Like they, there was some way to bridge the sort of narrative and the mechanics there, um, such that it would have like been a a bonus rather than a, a flaw. But for me. Yeah, I, I completed all the major stuff, and then I also I had some of the side stuff I just got personally invested in, and so I did that with equally high priority. And I just had a lot of plot lines all wrap up right at the same time. Yeah, same. And it left me with basically two things. One was a character I just happened to have not run into yet, so they had their whole plot line going on. And then another was this noodle guy, who um, sorry, no, the mushroom guy, not the noodle guy. Um, <laughs> the mushroom guy who served me good mushrooms for my whole life and was a good pal but he wanted some special mushrooms and to grow the special mushrooms was this 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 long quest that i um 
had not even taken the first step to. And so I ended up with like the only two things in my life are the fucking mushroom guy who wants really specific <laughs> mushrooms that take like an 18 step quest to get, <laughs> yeah. uh, just, just to make one dish once that refills your energy one time. <laughs> and this junker person who, who had work for me, but who I didn't really trust. Um, and so wasn't mega invested in that plot line. And both of those just have really long wait times in them. They're just like, after you've done this, you've got to wait three days before they'll have another job for you. And there isn't sort of a way to skip time uh, in that way. And uh, that makes a lot of sense early on because you're, you're really struggling to survive early on. Like I say, you're decaying all the time, finding mm. a solution to that. It's this constant, you're basically uh, a drug addict because you um, have to always be thinking about how you're going to fund your next fix of this drug that repairs your, your condition. Um, and I broke free of that uh, at some point. I won't say how exactly, but I just got into a really good life setup where I could, I could take care of myself and I didn't need that dependency anymore. Um, like that, I was still decaying, but there was a way to handle it that was different. Um, and I started to feel that felt really good to just like come out of basically come out of poverty and, and uh, figure out how your life works and how to uh, stay ahead of the curve and um, have a bit of a comfort zone and a bit of savings. Um, but the game didn't the game didn't know that. And so actually going through those motions was kind of a pain in the ass each day. There was no longer any threat or risk. Mm. I just had to do all those things. And when you've got to wait, it was like three days for one of these things. One of them is eight days. Um, having to just wait those out by going through the motions each day was slightly uh, at odds with with how the game was sort of supposed to be feeling. Yeah, when the basic sustenance stuff is divorced from a real threat, it just becomes rigmarole after a, after a yeah. certain point. I think the, the problem the game has with the pacing is that a lot of the early stuff, there's um, because you're dealing with so many different things and you're decaying, and there's also a threat, a uh, mechanical threat, of overextending yourself when you go and try to explore places you know you can it's a dice roll when you explore places and you can get hurt even doing that um and so there's a sort of incentive for you not to kind of fully explore the content in the early game and then you find like the plot critical quests further along and you start following those because they're more kind of pressing and urgent and then you've completed them and you realize that there's all this early game stuff that you were too afraid to search for originally um, but now you're you you're kind of um it doesn't it doesn't feel right that you should be going back and helping somebody set up their bar uh, in the late game yeah. after you've already fixed yourself but yeah i was i had a nice little narrative arc emerge from the mechanics because i was a hacker who had low endurance and so anything that's just like really hard work endurance is both physical labor and also just anything that's boring <laughs> which i liked <laughs> like anything it's like oh you just got to like you know f fill in this this like data thing a hundred times that's an endurance test and i'm like no 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 it's not that's not for me <laughs> um and what at some point you're just staying in a start in a sorry a cargo container at the start of the game and at some point you find an abandoned apartment but it is full of junk and it's not sealed and so there's a load of just manual labor to do to clear it out. And that is an endurance test. And I was bad at endurance, so I didn't do it. And so I just made do with living in my storage container for ages because um, it's not how I wanted to use my dice, you know, much uh, kind of quite differently to most RPGs. The fact that you have these limited dice each day means you're always making meaningful decisions about which of these things do I care about. And so, yeah, as, as Marsh says, you focus on stuff that's that's critical to your survival first and then secondary to that once those clocks are filled as much as they can be in a given day uh you start thinking about the quest you care about and most of those is going to be based on like what am i good at uh, how can i really make progress on this and clearing that apartment was like this i think it's like a 12 step clock and every time i'm at a disadvantage i'm so i've got to use good dice and i'm not going to make good progress and then as i 
dealt with other plot lines, including the one where someone's hunting you. Um, that plot line is pretty brutal and it's unpleasant at times. Um, and you get through it and I, I came out the other side. And as you're doing this, you level up as well. And so you're, you're uh, putting extra points and leveling up some skills that you didn't specialize in initially. And you can also negate that disadvantage you have, have a disadvantage in endurance. I could, instead of increasing a, a standard stat, I could, I could increase that from minus one to zero. Um, and I just, it just kind of hit right that I'd been through enough shit that, that was an endurance test and I survived it. But the next time I leveled up, I thought, yeah, I'm going to put a point into endurance and I get rid of that disadvantage. And now I'm going to start working on this apartment. And then as that ticked along, some of the other quests I completed were much more kind of along the lines of like self-fulfillment and just like making friends and having like a good job and, and uh, kind of going up in the world. And next time I leveled up, I put another point in endurance. And I felt like, you know, actually I've got a bit more energy now. I've got a bit more like zest for life and fuck it. I'm really going to work on this goddamn apartment and take all this junk out and seal it up. And that's just a really nice little like sub story for my character to get over their, their fear of boring work. <laughs> and like firstly through, through just realizing they are stronger than they thought they were. And then secondly, through just having motivation and friends and just sort of feeling better about their life and just being like, all right, I'm going to actually apply myself to this task. That's really neat. Are you excited for the or the promised expansions to the game? No. <laughs> I, actually, one of the things I liked about it over Norco um, was that it it felt like the right length. It just kind yeah. of it it really compelled me all the way to the end. And when it wrapped up, I was done with it. And so the fact that there's more when I realized there was DLC or it's a free update, I think. Um, I sort of thought, oh, I don't really want to <laughs> go back to it. That was just a nice length. I don't yeah. kind of want more of it. Yeah, likewise. I mean, I absolutely loved the game, but I, I think I suppose one of its virtues was that it was short. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I don't really need, necessarily need more of it, although I'm sure it's going to be really good. I just, uh, yeah, I, I feel like my time on that that station is is done with. I've Yeah, it, it felt pretty substantial too. I think I spent like eight hours with it. Mm. Something like that. Let me check, actually. I've got it up here. I think it took me 13 hours to completely rinse it. Nine hours I spent. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe um, uh, Chris, do you want to talk about your you've been playing? And if sure, if we have time, I could talk about Norco. Yeah, unless unless there's a natural segue for you into Norco um, from Thingy. Uh, you know what? Let me just very quickly yeah. talk about Norco because um, it. it's actually I don't, there's not too much to say about it. It's um. It's much closer to Disco Elysium. It's an adventure game, a sort of point and click, I think. <laughs> I'm suddenly forgetting how I played this game. <laughs> it's been it's a, a yellow screen. Um... <laughs> I last played it a month ago. I've almost completed it. I actually, I think I might have completed it while drunk, and I don't remember. <laughs> so <laughs> that's why I'm saying I haven't completed it because I, um, uh, it doesn't seem to have saved any of my progress since since uh, I last played sober. <laughs> so I think I might have got all the way to the end. Um, it, you are returning to a uh, a town that you left a long time ago to get away from for good reason, uh, where your mother and brother still live. And uh, your mum has died. And so you're there. You're coming back to sort of deal with that. Um, and looking for your brother, who is does not appear to be around and so that's the initial quest is like where is your brother uh it's set in a kind of um miserable (laughs) near future it's funny because there's like androids and stuff 
but the rest of it feels very grounded and very present day and it's just shitty the oil corporations near running the town. Wednesday. <laughs> the, <laughs> yes. the Ambry car park. That's a that's a that's a bath joke. I think I'll shut up. <laughs> it's it's got a bit of a noir vibe, like a you know, a missing person's case and um something about coming back to this town where a lot of people know you or they know your family. You have this sort of like semi-personal connection. Um, feels very noir and it's quite cool. Um, uh, and yeah, it's got a very particular art style that for some reason you and several members of your family don't have faces <laughs> or your faces are kind of drawn as if in crayon, um, whereas everyone else has has well-drawn faces. I don't know if that's... Um, if that ever becomes significant, but um, I'm taking it as sort of like, you know, you imagine what you look like um, and what your immediate family looks like. One of the um, sort of, it's got some, yeah, it, it's it's relationship to magical realism. Actually, now that I think about it, Disco Elysium wasn't the, the primary point of comparison to this. It was um, Kentucky Route Zero yeah. because it has a lot of magical realism in it. It's got a lot of, um, as well as the futuristic stuff, there's also just fucking weird mutant, bird god entities <laughs> under the ground and um uh a lot of kind of mysteries and stuff i think i prefer it to kentucky route zero because it's much more focused and it's much more interested in actually telling a story that you can follow in a in a literal way <laughs> like kentucky route zero is very sort of metaphorical and and um uh it's hard to chain together a sort of concrete narrative of it uh, whereas this is very much like uh it has plot events that you can uh, understand and follow in an easy way um <laughs> it also has a, a mechanic about recording dialogue which i quite like which is like anytime someone's saying anything once you have a recorder you can click a little record icon next to it and then at certain times you can kind of use those recordings like inventory items so if you ever need to mm, prove to somebody cool. that another person is has broken a rule that they disapprove of you can show them evidence that they did and uh, at one point, you can sort of prove someone's boyfriend is cheating on them with, uh, with that. How do you know when to um, record? Uh, so you can basically everyone will repeat anything they've already said. So you can go back and just uh, ask them the same question if you realize you should have recorded it. Um, uh, that's probably not universally true, but it's true for anything that you would need to record. Um, and yeah, they give you limited storage space so you don't just record every single thing. It definitely has some very Kentucky Route Zero like interludes, like if you like played the sort of uh i don't know would you call it a driving mini game in kentucky route zero <laughs> the various ways in which you actually travel the zero um are all kind of weird little mini games and norco absolutely traffics and those um and they're quite cool um i what i found was uh, basically it really gripped me very fast early on um and i don't want to spoil how exactly but it, it's it has multiple timelines and the first timeline switch was so good for me. It was just like, ah, oh, this is exactly what I want. Like I'm getting, you know, it's a mystery. And now you're taking me right to the source of the mystery. And it, that's, that's such an exciting moment. And then I started to find that timeline switching thing kind of less and less effective as the game went on because they do it the way you do it in a, in a book or a TV series where just as you're getting to the, uh, the big narrative payload, sort of a cliffhanger or a big reveal or something, then you switch perspectives. And that didn't work for me that well in the game because I like you need energy to play a game and you just got my investment to peak in this other storyline. And now you switch back to the one I've kind of forgotten about and my investment's back at zero. And now I've got to actually like try and 
investigate this mystery and think about these things. In a TV show and a book, you can just let it take you for the ride until your investment builds up again in this other storyline. Whereas in a game, you have you need to have investment to progress, really. And so it started to kind of lose momentum that way. But I still enjoyed it. I think um, I prefer Citizen Sleeper, um, but this is definitely, I definitely recommend it. It's just a, a very distinctive mm. and specific world with lots of weird little secrets. I really need to get over the point and click hump. I found it. Uh, I played a bit of Norco, but I found just the the chore of clicking around a room to exhaust all of the th- mundane things that the character could talk about uh, to be a little too much at the start for a character that you don't have any kind of initial investment in. Um, right. Yeah, I didn't find that it needed me to be exhaustive in that way most of the time. Uh, did you know there's a key to hold down to see all those things? I didn't, but I mean, uh, <laughs> it, it wasn't it wasn't a problem of locating all the objects. It was just yeah. that there's a sheer number of them, and a lot of them are quite banal, <laughs> honestly. Like uh, we happen to be going, think... going through quite a lot of uh, uh, my my partner's like childhood belongings at the moment, and I'm highly invested in that because I'm highly invested <laughs> in my partner. But this character is going through their early kind of childhood things, and I just don't have you know. And I don't have any connection to them or, or, or their past. And so it was quite a, a burden to, for them to narrate to me about, you know, little tchotchkes that they picked up decades ago. Yeah. I think my attitude, uh, my approach was to not look at things. <laughs> it might sound like a weird approach to life, but I don't think I ever needed to look at anything. Like oh, so you get, can just, just get, get that stuff. Right, you, there's not. I think, I think critical. if you can interact with it, you should. If you can obviously pick it up, you want to, and if you can press a button or whatever, you, you should do that. But I don't think you ever need to just look at stuff. Oh, mm. good to know. That seems <laughs> that seems interesting in a game that allows you to like use information in other contexts, right? That like. Yeah, I, I might be wrong. <laughs> there, there might be exceptions to that, but basically, I I didn't look at everything. I didn't mm. sort of feel that need. Um, I assumed that if it's just looking, it's not essential. And I got through it okay until the point where I got too drunk to remember what I did. <laughs> in the in the last couple of weeks, I had to uh, completely turf out my childhood bedroom because my parents are moving house. And I realised listening to you talk about this that my approach to that definitely drifted from Marsh to Tom over the course of two weekends of doing it, from looking at every individual object, like loading it in the frame of my mind. Did you lose investment in yourself? Yeah, I completely did. Like it was like, it was, it went from like, wow, look at this object. Like almost seeing the text of my own head. Like this is a receipt from a bus ticket in America in 2008. And I'll rotate it through, you know, I'll it'll load up in my inventory and I'll rotate it all the way around. I'll look at all the different sides of it. <laughs> the, you know, there'll be a note on the back that says beans or something, and I'll hear my own voice say beans hmm. or whatever. <laughs> and as I did that with like every object for a while, and then um, the second time back with some time pressure, it was very much like, uh, look at it. Is it like, is it, you know, does it need to go in a bin? No, it goes in a box. Will it shred? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Shredder's revenge. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> yeah, um, but, but it's partly because I decided to defer the issue by just taking all of that mm. stuff with me. So I now have to go through it all and actually determine if I value any of it. But yeah, so this is a thing though, genuinely, in defense of games that use like going through objects as a thing, 
uh, sorry, I just realized I'm about to make the, probably the most, uh, the broadest point I've ever made in this podcast. And that's saying something. <laughs> I was really struck that objects are real. <laughs> okay. You ever had what are we talking about now? <laughs> you've been on at me about my lack of object permanence for approximately 10 years. I think, yeah, but that's like moment to moment. I think I had a kind of like decade spanning object thing where like objects are real and they're finite. You know? I think I sort of perceive. <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I agree that's true. <laughs> I'm just not sure where the revelation it was is. Like, it was a gentle revelation. It was one of those little things that creeps up on you. Like, I had thought of all of that stuff in a room somewhere as just a kind of nebulous mass of, of history. But actually, it broke down into like a discrete quantity of individual items, many of which I remembered. And I, you know, it, it, it certainly was an experience. That's all I'm saying. And apparently, that's not very much. But it is nonetheless... <laughs> <laughs> look man <laughs> but like it's like I don't know <laughs> I'm sorry <laughs> oh wow that was yeah. good <laughs> I just genuinely I was like well <laughs> I do I recognise what you were saying about that switch though because I think anybody who has tried that you know Marie Kondo thing of does this thing spark joy you go from handling each thing and trying to give it the respect that it somehow deserves and then about I don't know for me it was about half an hour into the process it's just like nothing sparks joy everything can go in the bin like I am done with this I don't even want a house anymore like I I'm going this is yeah <laughs> so. this is where the Marie Kondo process fell down for me is I just found myself sat there sort of awed by the reality of the fact that I owned eight Mega Drive games and just sort of like trying to draw the line between me being able to realize seeing the finite nature of that and child me for whom that was an enormous kind of breadth of experience and just sort of like vanishing in the gulf between those things and returning from it moments later no longer knowing what joy is um, and putting those things in a box for later yeah I mean I don't deny that that was your experience or that it was like you know important but also it does sound like maybe there were spores involved yeah. you know? <laughs> <laughs> look i am i am quite allergic to dust and i do think that it's my... <laughs> the other thing is i think maybe what i have tapped into here if i was trying to redeem this at all would be to say that i think point and click adventure games could be worse than they are and <laughs> <laughs> I actually, so like everyone on this podcast, I've also recently gone through an experience of looking through my childhood belongings. <laughs> and uh, I discovered, I mean, most of it I don't want, um, but for years, well, for, I guess, decades, I have believed that as a child, I basically wrote the concept of Jurassic Park before ever having read or seen Jurassic Park. And that I basically invented Jurassic Park and, you know, Michael Crichton came along and kind of cribbed off my work. <laughs> um and I, I found the book that, that I was thinking of that, that I wrote back then. And it, it is about um, uh, dinosaur DNA being preserved in amber through a, an insect that's, um, uh, that gets trapped in amber. Uh, but then I looked at where it goes from there. And my, I draw out exactly what they build from that DNA. And it's just a fucking four-armed mutant with, like, blade hands. <laughs> like, Dude, that is, that is not a dinosaur. <laughs> Don't tell the producers of Jurassic Park Dominion that. Because that's not miles off. Yeah. <laughs> oh no. They finally worked their way around to full circle. 
<laughs> yeah, I found a lot of things that I wrote and drew as a child. Um, I had a real habit of if I and I think this is in hindsight quite sweet. But if I wanted to like wish someone like a happy Mother's Day or Christmas or whatever, I wouldn't say happy. I would just relate it to something I thought was cool. So uh, <laughs> that that gave us have an X wing of a Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> And oh. Batman Mother's Day, um, which <laughs> which is darker than I think seven year old yeah. me really intended. I mean, wow. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, weird being having being a child and then not lo- no longer being a child, having a past, and objects being real and finite. <sighs> Can Very I talk rare. about a game? Because I've I feel like I'm spitting yeah. out. Um, I've only had a tiny little <laughs> sip of whiskey from my flamingo mug, and look where it sent me. Um, oh, wow! I've I've been playing, and I played I played it several times, which will tell you that it's good. The demo for uh, Hellsinger, um, which yeah. is that that bullet hell thing? Uh, it's got a bullet hell element to it, um, but it is a uh, and and there are bullets, and it's set in hell, which are two reasons to say yes. Um, it made me think of Devil Dagger. Yes. Sorry, I'm totally interrupting. That's okay. Well, it is a first-person shooter in a sort of retro mold. Um, but and I, I believe there's been a few games like this recently, or a few games with this high concept, but this is the first one that I've played, honestly. Um, so the premise is really it's rhythm doom, basically. Um, so it takes what is true about games like Devil Dagger and specifically New Doom and therefore Retro Doom as well, and, and these are the games that are often made by their soundtracks to a, a huge degree about, you know, blasting demons in hell uh, with a lot of metal pounding away in the background, um, but actually makes that the core premise of the game. And so it's not actually out yet, but there's a free demo on Steam, which is basically a tutorial and a, a, a level and a boss fight. Uh, but I played through that level like three or four times now, um, kind of getting to grips with it and kind of, you know, picking away at its mechanics. It's super cool. I, I, I suspect um, that it will have a cult following. It feels it's got the bones of one of those games that people don't shut the fuck up about on Steam. And for good reason. Like, it, it sort of feels destined to charm people because of the the ways in which when, when it starts to sync up, when it starts to click, it feels really, really good. So basically, the way it works is, well, the, the premise is you're a, a, a demon a cool demon lady fighting her way through hell. Uh, that's it. <laughs> that's the premise. Um, <laughs> and you have the, you know, where the where your sort of crosshair is at the center of the screen. There are sort of uh, chevrons that approach from each side in line with the beat of the song that accompanies the level. And uh, you you are incentivized to do not just shooting but all actions to whatever that beat is. So you very quickly internalize it. Um, that rhythm and um, as you uh, do damage or perform actions on that beat you build up a combo and you know from 2x to 4x 8x 16x and as you do that as you pass through those stages which are kind of progressed by filling up a bar and then getting a kill to kind of jump to the next level or by picking up power-ups that kind of amp it up for you you add more and more layers to the soundtrack or the the metal track that is on in the background culminating in vocals and so there's this really nice hmm. sort of sense of building the song as you kind of 
um, build your kind of combo and maintain it. And it, 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 in terms of its like actual mechanics, it's it's borrowed, you know, borrowed, but like learned a lot from New Doom. So it has the same getting enemies into a kind of flashing down state and then executing them for health. It's a little faster because uh, it has to be. Um, and a few other things to do with sort of like um, weapon alt fires and things like that. It's a little simpler, but that's because it's got this layered extra complexity on top of it. And immediately this sort of feels pretty good when you get into the hang of it. And then it starts to feel really good as you internalize the room. Because the other game is a lot like is Crypt of the Necrodancer. Um, because you have to get used to, even though you're, you know, it's not like tile-based or grid-based, you're moving around in 3D, in sort of free 3D, you have to get used to um, performing all of your significant actions on a consistent beat. And what's really interesting about that is the combination of free analog movement and the kind of the punctuation of specific beats actually feels quite a lot like dancing, which is a kind of interesting thing to encounter in a first person, you know, shooter game. Um, and then there's lots of, sort of little layered nuance that they've added to kind of um, kind of keep it uh, manageable, including combos and things. So, for example, you have like you have this like your basic ranged weapon is a happy little skull that you point at things and it fires a little fireball. It doesn't do very much damage, but unlike your other weapons, it never needs to reload. And simply by firing it on the beat, you maintain the combo. So it's almost like you're kind of like mm. punctuation. It's like you, you're you just firing that just generally to kind of stay on the rhythm. And then you can switch to other weapons. You have a sword. And then in the demo, there's a shotgun and there's uh, dual pistols or like dual revolvers. And they each sort of work differently and sort of layer different things onto it. So the sword can be quite fast, but you want to keep it on the beat and it gains a lot of damage from your combo multiplier. So you can build it up. And then it has like this ultimate move where it doubles the tempo. And so you can attack really fast and the sword kind of like sends these blades out that, that do more damage and stuff like that. Um, the shotgun, when you get the hang of it, feels awesome for a really, for something that, you know, this starts to layer in design ideas that you wouldn't necessarily think think about but like the shotgun is the traditional pump action doom shotgun so it's got that kind of like boom thing but the 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 whatever the pumping of the pump action shotgun is the second beat of its attack so it's a two beat attack it's like you fire it on the beat and then the 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 pump will happen on the sec on the second beat and then if you want to fire it again you hit the third beat and so the rhythm you get into for that is like it's quite specific um, but if you swap out, you know, if you or if you swap during the pump, so to speak, um, you can swap weapons during the pump. You can then hit something else on the beat because there are things that do trigger on every beat. And so you can start threading things in and out of the rhythm. It's kind of hard to explain and quite wordy, but it feels kind of really awesome when like you kind of seamlessly switch from one cadence or one rhythm to another. Um, and then there's the the dual pistols, which um, sort of fire regularly on the beat, uh, which is actually kind of slower than you'd think you'd be firing them because you're kind of, maybe it'd be different in, in high difficulty settings in the final game or something, but you're kind of hitting this steady rhythm. Um, but both it and the shotgun, but it feels really good with the pistols, have like an element of active reload, kind of inherited from Gears of War, which is basically like when, you know, it will warn you when a reload is coming, when you're about to run out of ammo, you can manually reload as well. But when you need to reload, um, I think different guns have like a point in the reload animation on the beat where you can interrupt the reload to finish it 
So on the pistols, I think it's the third beat. So it's sort of like reload one, two, and then it's just if you do it right, you do this kind of cool flip and you've kind of instantly reloaded them. And then there are kind of uh, special abilities and things that layer on top of all of this and double jumps and air dashes and things. And then the bullet hell element is the boss fight. So the boss fight has traditional bullet hell elements like, you know, patterns of bullets that you're kind of trying to dodge around as you kind of consistently do damage and keep your combo up. And it feels really, really good. There's obviously quite a high ceiling to to it. Um, I started to chip away at kind of starting to not get good at it, but starting to kind of understand it enough to kind of like make intentional decisions about what I'm doing. I would say that one thing that's really interesting about building a game out of a feeling is what I'd say. Like, you know, the moments where like Mick Gordon's soundtrack kicks in and then you doom and you kind of feel great because and doing really what you're doing, it just feels great because the music's kind of backing you up and it is a good marriage of game and, and, and soundtrack. Because the soundtrack is the game or they have this close relationship in this game, when you fuck up, it feels bad. Losing that combo and cutting off the vocals will always feel bad. And there's really no way around that. And so in kind of like in gamifying it, um, you make the highs higher because you really are driving it forward and the lows slightly lower because you can lose something by just making a mistake. And that's cool. That's the premise of the game. But it's interesting that like it's sort of that that is a consequence of trying to enhance a feeling that a game like Doom can give you um, is that you can actually undermine it as well. The, there are a few other things like there are things that are slightly unintuitive about it that it doesn't or maybe I wasn't paying attention appropriately but didn't teach like you really do need to do everything on the beat that's significant like swapping weapons otherwise you can get some really awkward kind of lulls because like those things take slightly longer there's a slight delay with switching weapons that feels bad if you miss it also getting back on the rhythm can be tricky like if you lose it that's just a rhythm issue that's like a personal thing but like it can feel a bit like Oh, try to catch up with something if you kind of lose your flow. And to me, the special abilities feel mismatched with the fantasy of the game. So one of them is fine. Uh, well, the the sword one is fine because doubling the tempo feels very cleanly matched to the idea of the game. You kind of interact, you actually override certain things on the soundtrack when you do it. It's, you know, you know kind of like crazy drums kick in and you're just going and, and you're doing loads of damage. And then the shotgun alt fire is this big blast that kind of over penetrates through low rows of enemies. And that feels good on the beat as well. But the other two are both kind of weird. The, um, the skull releases like a lightning blast that stuns all enemies in a radius, but it takes a while to trigger and it feels weird to be off the beat for a while. Maybe it's just a presentational thing, but to me it feels like giving up the beat for a bit and then you come back in, um, which could be cool. The, 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 Revolver one, I just don't understand. It creates like a decoy of you that shoots things. And it feels like you create it. And then I'm not sure how that is interacting with the core premise of the game in any way. It's not a bad thing. It's still fun to use this stuff. But to me, it feels like every special ability should be an opportunity to do something special on top of the music track. Because that's the, that's the fantasy of it. And so then being sort of more technical special abilities, like I didn't quite kind of vibe with it really. Um, not to say that it undermines it, but, you know, it was the thing. Hmm. How into metal do you need to be to enjoy this game? Probably quite a bit. Yeah. Probably quite a bit. I, I've i kind of, like, rediscovered metal, which was a huge part of my teenage years in the last three or four years, really, but really last two. 
big pandemic thing as well. And one thing I will say for this is something I, I, I was, I was th- amusing on while I was playing it mm. was that it's very, it's completely unironic in its kind of celebration of that music and that theme and how over the top it is and all of its hell demons and griblies and hellscapes and so on. And I mean, well, there's this one layer of irony, which I'll speak to you a bit, which I'm, I find quite refreshing. I feel like for quite for a while back there, back in the, xbox 360 era the kind of guitar hero era we were all living in like the tenacious d cinematic universe when it came to this stuff and everything had like <laughs> like games like brutal legend and stuff like that yeah and i'm afraid was... that stuff really uh wore out the entire aesthetic for me it really yeah it did for me as well and i think it was sort of well meant but that sort of like it's like it feels like a product of a time where like metal like hadn't come back around into fashion in the way that things do generally through it's kind of the cycle of things it was being pushed back in ironically and there's a difference and and part of me through like new doom i think is a great example of this just sort of enjoying metal for its own sake like enjoying it because it fits the mood of these games enjoying them for the kind of the because it is fun and it is expressive and it's loud and it's exciting and like that's why you do it not because it's um uh not because it's like uh a kind of stock comedy setting that you can kind of uh pull out or, or drop in or even mm. even fondly um because i've been kind of thinking about that quite a bit that like there is a sort of the the legacy of modern metal is felt throughout games in surprising places but isn't represented very much like it's thick in like elements of disco Elysium for, for reasons that are kind of like would probably go over the heads of people who aren't really into metal, which is kind of interesting, right? Like to the extent that a whole lot of the voice acting in that game is done by Mikey Goodman, who is the uh, lead singer slash growler slash spoken word man of a band called sixth. Um, and who's, you know, writing for that music and disco and his performance in disco Elysium overlap really neatly. And you'd never make that connection otherwise. And this game is obviously totally completely different. But I quite like that it's not sort of uh, not embarrassed to be what it is. However, however, I don't like that there's a cowboy in it. <laughs> that's that's um, why is there a cowboy in it? Where is the cowboy? Are you the cowboy? Um, no, that's a Mitski album. The um, the uh, the. <laughs> So it's got a voiceover and, and like, it's like this sort of like drawling voiceover by a cowboy who's telling you about hell. And like, I don't know why, like it, it might be Satan. It's about like whatever, whatever kind of like, you know, arch demon is kind of following the progress of, of you, the, the unknown demon as you kind of prowl your way through hell. And I just don't know why he's from Texas. I just don't get it. I don't get it. It feels. It sounds a lot like. Um, it sounds a lot like Matt Mercer actually doing his um, cowboy from Overwatch voice. And where should where should Satan be from? What accents should he have? Scouse. Well, I mean, I'm assuming Chris has got used to um, Tom Ellis in Lucifer. In Lucifer. Yeah. Um, either just a sort of incredibly camp performance by Tom Ellis saying the word detective a lot um, um <laughs> or i mean i don't know it could be anything i think there's i think for me it takes me out of it because i start thinking about 
like, did they want Matthew McConaughey for this? Is where it takes me. And she got Alan Bennett to do it. That would have been good casting. <laughs> <laughs> Patricia Routledge. But it's an interesting question. I don't know if they can win because if they go for like very, very vampy, then, you know, well, that's been done. If they go for kind of like arch and British, that's been done. Scouse, not a bad mm. shout, but that's very John Constantine. Mm. Um, French? Sure. <laughs> sure. I mean, just. I don't know. I'm just picking accents. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think um, the only reason I the only reason I'm complaining about it is because I'm 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 going through my notes, and well, <laughs> the one I've got is do not like cowboy man, do like cowboy gun. So that's the that's the <laughs> my final word on on Hellsinger so far. But I do really like. It. I think I'll, I'll definitely play it when it's when it's mm. out, and I suspect that it will continue to create advocates for it because it's a fun combination of things to make make mm. screaming happen by firing a, a little <laughs> <laughs> so do you lose your your whole combo every time you make any mistake uh no you drop down a bracket um okay. you, you lose some of the bar and if a bar gets low enough you drop down a bracket so it's not like you kind oh, of okay, like it's not it doesn't screech to a halt but when you get, it's interesting. Some interesting decisions, like they give these power ups that will skip you to like sixteen times multiplier, hmm. and that is such a good place to be, and it feels so good that anything less than that sucks. And like at the end of the level, there's all sorts of high score stuff. It's got it's very leaderboard driven, and like one of them is like, what percentage of the time did you stay at six, the full multiplier? And I think my last run, I was there seventy six percent of the time, and that's because like. And I think what it lends itself to is that feeling that like being anywhere other than totally on it doesn't feel right. Which mm. actually really reminds me of like Guitar Hero and Rock Band. And, you know, when back mm. when that was the thing people played, um, you know, you got to a point with it where like you make a mistake, well, you start again, you know. Yeah. Also Thumper. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that has a metal kind of vibe like i remember the aesthetic more than the actual music but it it was something that really was coming to mind as you were talking yeah and maybe that's just simply just a rhythm action game thing generally but it's interesting that this is not a game where you can apply those traditional principles of pattern recognition because ultimately i guess you could learn enemy spawning patterns and things but and optimal routes but it's far more granular and analog than it would ever be in like a lane based rhythm game like thumper or any of the guitar hero mm. rocking games or Beat Saber or anything like that. Mm. It's good though. I do like it. I, f I feel like I already know who of my friends is going to get obsessed with it and who I'm going to get, you know, like lots and lots of clips of them doing good runs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, really. And, and I love that because I'm so bad at those kinds of games. And so it's going to be. I'm only really going to experience it from watching either top tier streamers when something that they've done goes viral or yeah. Friends just like being very proud of their clip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited to see what very good players can do in its system. I might look at that later actually as well. I mean, I imagine people are already doing good things in the demo. I would hope. Mm. Shall we take a break? Indeed we should as the oldest recipe is ready to serve. What? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Shall we do? 
because this is our 400th episode and it's been a while, some questions returning. Yeah. From questions? Yeah. From questions where we left them. (laughs) 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 They survived and they've thrived in isolation. And we've got quite a few, actually. So thank you to everybody who submitted questions today because this was rather an 11th hour thing or accurately last eight hours before recording thing um but our first question comes from uh you know podcast archivist discord mod stalwart uh a number of things kane who writes dear proprietors over the past four thousand years of toweringly exceptional podcasting only one of those things is true um Plus the six years of the progenitor pod, you've had some great guests on the show, like Kim Richards and Mike Bithel. Are there any guests you've always wanted to have on, but couldn't get? He has two questions, but we should answer them both because he's put a lot of time into the, <laughs> into the community. <laughs> guests you've always wanted to have on, but couldn't get. Well, I did ask Matt Castle if he'd be on it, but he was too busy. Mm. We all know what that means. <laughs> Doing his 12 other podcasts. Yeah. It means he was actually busy. Oh, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah we, I don't know. The thing with guests is, uh, and this maybe explains why we haven't had that many of them, is that we kind of value like the the, the informality, the easiness yeah. of the podcast that comes from us all knowing each other quite well, and you know, over the years having seen each other make tragic fools of themselves in various <laughs> stages of inebriation. Um, so it's kind of hard to bring a guest into that without suddenly making it fucking weird for them. Um, and there's lots of people in the industry who I'd, who I'd love to have a cool chat with or be IRL friends with, but it's a much, much shorter list of people who, you know, for whom that would simply and immediately happen <laughs> in this informal <laughs> podcast setting. Um, so, you know, that's the reason we don't have that many guests because because of our shortcomings as hosts and human beings. <laughs> um, and the vast limitations of yeah. this format. That said, I think we probably could have swung some of the Idle Thumbs slash Campo Santo folks over the years. Uh, I met James Benson at their studio shortly after Brexit, and he was very nice. Yeah. What was what, what was what, what would Brexit have to do with that? Um, I think that's Just how we. Time. I think that's how we we sort of bonded. <laughs> he is British. Yeah. Um, my first thought, as always, was Brendan Chung, because uh, he's just uh, mm. uh, someone I admire tremendously for his work and also just really like uh, as a person. And he's, he's just kind of, I don't know, he, he just always had a good take on everything. Um, someone who I think would fit in well with our conversational vibe is Nels Anderson, mm. um, mm. who is also a, um, someone I really admire as a game developer as well. And also just one of my closest friends here in Vancouver. Um, and what you don't have to worry about with Nels is that that he won't be casual enough or won't speak up. <laughs> like He will absolutely will make say, his opinion known. <laughs> I will say that having also had chats with Nels in bars uh, about nonsense, I'm not 100% sure I want those things on the record. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he would be a good fit. I feel like I'm not sure whether I have the right to an opinion given for example an extended absence of probably a thousand episodes (laughs) but um i think there is a genuine kind of it's easier to have bullshit opinions without the person 
that they might be relevant to sitting right in front of you. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I might be inclined to rethink some of my hasty opinions, grudges and so forth if, the, if I was actually going to be taken to account on them. <laughs> it's it's in the same way that like the the shift from journalists to working in the industry has changed uh, well at least i think it's for all of us but i'll speak for myself how comfortable you are completely like just throwing out a completely <laughs> bollocks opinion about something is because <laughs> you're a little bit more aware of what goes into the um the the making of things or the reality of life in the in the business and so on but yeah i agree i i find this tough to answer honestly or and i want to front you know literally to answer honestly rather than you know just say jeff Keeley and get it over with um <laughs> <laughs> fall on your sword you mean <laughs> wow um i i think there's like an alternate universe where we went more into interviewing stuff because that is fun in its own way it's it's a totally different thing like it's it's fundamentally different to the podcast we do but like the episode where alex and i talked to soren and leila johnson i really enjoyed and it it did feel quite you know casual and free-ranging and i liked the i liked the chats we did at rest i think that was kind of a fun environment to catch couch something like that because you were catching people at a particular point in time and we've had good experiences like um, with, with having guests on. I think it's just such a very different vibe because you want to give people the space to talk about what they're working on and their, their project and, and, and so on. And that requires a level of respect for the person that you're speaking to that we simply don't have for each other. And um... yeah, you're not going to tell a, an industry veteran that perhaps spores have got into their brain <laughs> cleaning out their childhood yeah. home. You know. Um... Oh, speaking of spore, Chris Eckert would be a good one to have on because he worked on it, um, and I am always trying to persuade him that it's better than he thinks it is. <laughs> like, he's always I'm like, here oh, to no, say it's that bad. you are wrong about that, because, <laughs> but I'm only saying that because I did a uh, a reinstall for PC Gamer um, of Spore oh, yeah. and part of sort of trying to or part of getting to grips with that was going back through the archive and finding what you had to say about it when you wrote <laughs> about it and I'm just suddenly going, hmm <laughs> this isn't true anymore. But that's more that's... to do with, you know, the the fact that it's quite old and it doesn't have a thriving community. Anymore. Yeah, I'm curious actually, because like my big part of my recommendation was about the sporecasts, which were like ways of curating content and mm. all of the content that was being made by the cu- by the community that was getting selected, you know, it was rising to the top of that that community uh, was amazing. And it was so much better than what Maxis made. And mm. so I, like, if you weren't subscribed to the right content at launch, you got a very different experience to what I was playing. Mm. Um, and at the time I ran the PC Gamer Sporecast, which was, which we was super um, uh, popular. Uh, but all I was doing was just like looking at the most popular stuff and just adding that to our podcast because it was really good. <laughs> and it was like, wow, the selection's amazing. How are you doing this? <laughs> you were an influencer before your time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think there are some people who do that today <laughs> and take credit for it. I was thinking about that. But, um, well, was, yeah, that just made the game way better. While I was at home because I was constantly picking your PC game and demo discs from that era and going, am I ever going to look <laughs> at this? Yes. And then putting it in the box because by, by that point, objects had lost all meaning. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Didn't you find a game, a PC gamer, where you'd predicted a game? Or yeah. A game? Oh, um, when I was, uh, I wrote into back in the day in the late nineties, uh, CVG or Computer and Video Games Magazine, 
did this section in the middle where you could write in with your idea for a game and they would rate it out of five, basically. And uh, 10 year old me wrote in in 2010 um, to pitch a game called Prison, uh, which was basically just Prison Architect, um, uh, plus some feature creep at the end because you'd be able to escape in speedboats, uh, helicopters, or on foot. <laughs> um, and they gave me five stars. So that's actually, uh, now that I'm in the business, the uh, most uh, straightforward design review process I've had. Um, so you can see about Prison Architect. Tom, we're on the fence about Jurassic Park. Yeah. Uh, Marsh, any, any upcoming legal action you'd like to uh, propose or put out there? Oh, who can I sue? Oh, I don't have anybody to sue. <laughs> I'm going to sue Lou Bega because I came up with Mambo number four. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. But you did it after the fact. He can't prove that. <laughs> it's called long... Mambo number four. Yeah, as yes. long as it's called Mambo number four, your case is ironclad. <laughs> he should have called it Mambo number one if he wanted supremacy. Yeah. Exactly. Or uh, OG Mambo. Like, I don't... <laughs> Like, what well, it, sure it, goes, it goes Mambo Origins, then The Mambo. <laughs> <laughs> Mambo Rising. Yeah. Mambo First Blood. Mambo New Dawn. Oh, Mambo First Blood's very good. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. I feel like, so given that one of our anniversary episodes is a Mambo number five joke, I think. Oh, is yeah, it? Yeah. Oh, shit. Like, yeah, hey, go back. I mean, honestly, like. <laughs> That has to now be in contention for like sort of longest running recurring bit on this podcast. <laughs> I think it's just that I refuse to update my pop culture references. Yeah, possibly. I'm never not thinking about Mambo. Exactly. <laughs> Four through five. <laughs> <laughs> that whole range. <laughs> Obviously, someone might sue me over Mambo number three because I. I'm not having anything to do with that, but you know. Oh, brilliant. That's where my lawsuit can come in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Mambo number two, motherfucker. <laughs> uh, Kane's, the other half of Kane's question is this. Uh, also, while not really a 400 worthy question, I'm curious what you folks think of Microsoft continuing to commit to Age of Empires 2, a nearly quarter century old game. They're on track to spend several hundred thousand dollars. Of tournament on tournament prize pools this year, and more re the most recent expansion is the biggest and most ambitious one since the definitive edition. In an era of companies resurrecting old games, it's the biggest commitment to one that I've seen. Regards and congratulations, Kane. Thank you very much. <laughs> so, do we think that it's a commitment, or if they've forgotten, it's still happening? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a commitment. I think it's quite good. I mean, I. It's all contingent. I really don't have a good sense of how big a thing Age of Empires actually is. Like, obviously, it's it's well loved by a cadre of PC gamers, but I assume to Microsoft it feels more like something of a prestige product rather than like, you know, a hugely profitable enterprise in itself. Um, mm. But I'm kind of interested to know how it's come about internally because the idea of you know making a commitment to gaming fandom in front of profits was the kind of arguments that you know i was always making uh, uh and that was generally not very well received <laughs> um 
But then I, I feel like, you know, since my departure, the winds have sort of changed and now they're much more into investing in longer term projects now that Game Pass has become their sort of lodestar. And, you know, even though I, I'm pretty suspicious of how good that is for the industry at large, like if one benefit of that is to move towards like longer term thinking than is normally allowed at Microsoft and to embrace like the more um, ineffable benefits of like fostering goodwill and enthusiasm by being generous with a beloved game then i think that's cool hmm. if that's what it is maybe it's deeply cynical and i just don't know i would like to hereby grant my permission to put all of the money i've poured into parrot outfits in sea of thieves towards age of empires shenanigans <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be cool if every time you bought a cosmetic, you get to declare where your funds go to? Yeah. <laughs> I I have a sort of counter question, which is um, having never really got into an Age of Empires game, but quite liking Rise of Nations, should I play Age of Empires 2 Remastered or should I play Age of Empires 4? Who are you expecting to answer that? I'm hoping that yeah, he'll answer it in the episode discussion channel in like a week. There's the guest. Time. There's the guest you're looking for. Someone yeah. who knows anything about Age of Empires because it's not me. Well, let's hope cool. that's satisfactory. Yeah. Uh, Bean writes, Dear Creighton Crowbar, congratulations on episode 400. I've been following you all since episode one after the old PC game podcast ended. And while I try not to think about how long ago that was, I've been enjoying hearing your scolding hot takes every week Friday. And so to my question, the gods that be have granted you the ability to remove your most hated game mechanic from your most beloved game. But being the tricksy gods they are, you must replace it with something else that you hate. What mechanic would you remove? (laughs) What? And what would you replace it with? How do your favorite games now fare? Regards, Bean. All right. For me, it's like Dota and other people. <laughs> and then, so That's I the guess mechanic. what you would replace it with is like some other thing that I hate. So I don't know what that would be. Like jump scares. I, yeah, ghosts. <laughs> like, <laughs> if you had to play against ghosts, maybe. So you're still playing know. Dota, but like ghosts are controlling the other players, and they're going like, boo a lot. And keyboard. Yeah. Yeah, like I feel like if I had to go up against a team of ghosts, that would be crap. But then the other people <laughs> on my team would also have to be ghosts because they're just as bad. Anyway, I don't think I've thought this through, and that is that's a pretty account. good answer. Anyway, hmm. <laughs> hmm. hmm. I'm trying to think of something I hate about a game that I love. I um. I'll I'll try Supreme Commander because it has so the reason I still play Supreme Commander is actually you can customize it so you can remove the mechanics you don't like. But it by default it does have fog of war, which is a mechanic I hate. Um but what do I replace it with? I guess like escort missions. <laughs> How would that work? I mean, what are we trying to do here? Because we've got to replace it with something we hate. So by definition, we hate the replacement too. Yeah. But we're trying to improve it, right? We're, we're trying well, to make, like, I think we hate less. I think it's going to be... Yeah. I think it's going to be hateable in a different way from the original thing. Because mm. actually, I feel like escort missions could work in, in a 
in Supreme Commander because it's, it's both a real-time strategy game where you have a lot of freedom to, to build stuff, but also it's just a huge scale thing. So you could, the limit on what you could build to protect whatever fucking stupid NPC is going to get themselves killed uh, is, is enormous. You could build like a massive army of monkey lords or, or um, uh, a fleet of soul rippers and then the escort mission wouldn't be as horrible because you just like brute force it. I don't like really like resource scarcity or particularly like crafted resource scarcity in most games but particularly souls games right generally mm. speaking it's the one thing i don't love about bloodborne is the farming for health flasks um so why don't we replace the farming for health flasks in bloodborne with my other least favorite thing 30 minute kojima cutscenes <laughs> but isn't that a like for like sort of replacement but that's what i mean it just becomes differently bad right (laughs) like it goes from being a game where you run a loop it's actually worse because rather than at the very least in the other one you're actually still playing bloodborne which is a fun game um in my version of it you watch like uh an extended meditation on what's a werewolf starring a bunch of actors that have been kind of inexplicably roped in to opine about it um for for 25 minutes hmm. there would be a market for that there sadly. would i would still play it i just realized yeah. in talking to myself about yeah. it slowly i've realized i would still play this game you know in the witness there are some puzzles where if they, they want to make sure you can't brute force it so if you like fuck up the third puzzle it will undo your progress not just on the third puzzle but also on the second puzzle oh, so yes. you have to go back and redo the second puzzle even though hate that mechanic and we should replace it instead with the respawning enemies from Far Cry 2. <laughs> so the first time you fuck up a puzzle in The Witness, it's suddenly the island is crawling with like mercenaries who are hunting you down. <laughs> that would genuinely improve that game. As well. <laughs> They'd have to have like um, proper like stealth game style barks as well. Like, <laughs> how'd you fucked up a puzzle, Fisher? <laughs> <laughs> but if you line them up just right, it reveals a a, a hidden shape. <laughs> <laughs> you got to get their head uh, to line up with someone else's, like the top of someone's jeep, so that you can draw a line across it. <laughs> there you go, John Blow. If you're listening. <laughs> now 100% preventing him from ever being a guest on the podcast <laughs> I don't I don't think we're going to pursue that anymore <laughs> uh, did anyone just uh, kind of relatedly did anyone play The Looker no I haven't free I, game yeah. it's a parody of The Witness um, is it good on its own it on its own merits or is it just it's a cheap strange. parody strange um, no, it's like surprisingly seems quite interested in being a version of the witness. Like it actually, it starts out mocking it, and then you realize, like, oh no, they're actually really going to try and make puzzles out of <laughs> with the sort of like <laughs> knockoff mechanics. Um, and it's it's an actual puzzle game. Like it's quite difficult. Um, I had to uh, resort to a solution a couple of times, which is not to its credit. Um, I think it's ultimately just a bit too much of a pain in the ass i ended up just looking at uh, people kept talking about the ending as being special and so i i looked at a youtube video of it of the ending and it's like it's a very cheap gag it's not that good um but yeah it's surprisingly well made um and it's got some quite fun stuff in it 
and it's free. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Our next question comes from Anonymous, who writes, Dear Shape and Radar, what is your favorite or least favorite way the games indicate the location or current action of your NPC companions? I'm a big fan of Metal Gear Solid Five. Hold R3 to watch a shiny outline of your dog sneaking up in a guard approach. Thanks for glistening, snaky buddies. <laughs> wow, that's a specific question. Yeah. <laughs> I think it might have started with the pun and worked backwards, but, you know, <laughs> who hasn't in this line of work? Who hasn't? Yes. <laughs> hmm. I'm suddenly drawing a complete blank on what anyone who isn't I, in the game might be I, doing. So, I will, I will give the kind of counterpoint to this, which is when you can give an order to a companion to go and do things, I really like it if you have the option to not know instantaneously if they succeeded or failed or to get it from natural context clues rather than UI. So the example is like setting a, a pet or something loose in a Far Cry game and just hearing the yells rather than seeing the UI tell you that it's yeah. done X or Y or that this has worked or not. There's something quite satisfying about not being in control or having full information at that moment and just seeing like a corpse inexplicably T-pose over a wall or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I guess like with rudimentary notifications, you can also have that fun moment where you send your your pet or a companion into a, an absolute nest of of, um, of enemies and then you just get a notification saying, X is incapacitated. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that figures. <laughs> Yeah, I've said this on the podcast before, but I enjoyed in in Far Cry Five. I think it's the one that has like a boar companion, um, sending it into a, a bunch of um, cultists. I guess is that your enemies? Um, a lot of podcast voice in this anecdote. <laughs> um, <laughs> sending him into like r- uh, smash them up, and then just hearing one of them say, "But I'm a vegetarian." <laughs> <laughs> our rest of our questions come from Twitter. Remember that. Uh, first of which comes from uh, Mike Cook, who writes, uh, related to a previous question, actually, um, who would you say was your favorite podcast guest AI researcher with a specialism in computational creativity? <laughs> like if you had to pick one. Aww. Oh, bless him. <laughs> I, I read this on Twitter. And my first thought for some reason was Liam Hemsworth. <laughs> and I had to think for a second of why that was. And it's because there was an interview with uh, Chris Hemsworth and probably Tom Holland. I, I remember it was Daniel Radcliffe, but it must have been Tom Holland, uh, where Chris Hemsworth asked him, who do you say is your favorite Hemsworth brother? And uh, Tom Holland or whatever just went through like all of them, <laughs> except for Chris. Um, <laughs> Uh, his actual question, uh, have you had any listeners tune in from strange places? Arctic expeditions, solo around the world, kayaking, space? Truthfully, this is a question again for our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where are you and what are you doing? <laughs> I always like to hear when it's like a story like I was walking through the, you know, the park, listening to the podcast and something funny happened and I tripped over my dog. Those are all like the... That's that's a really yeah, heartwarming thing. We, we did break someone's arm once, didn't yeah. we? <laughs> they were listening to us while yeah. cycling and, and they we made them laugh and then they I think they fell off their bike and broke their arm. <laughs> I hope they are fully recovered and that it's okay that we yeah. all laughed. Um just now. <laughs> yeah. Um I think I we did didn't. at the time too. Yeah. Uh, well I mean they wrote in to tell us, so they clearly had one functioning arm. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> 
Uh, sorry, uh, it's inappropriate. Um, made myself giggle. Um, I guess the answer to Mike's ho- Mike's question is hospital. Yeah, I mean, I mean, was yeah, that because of the arm. I, I think so. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> you're allowed to come home. I mean, it depends how poorly your arm is. That's how- <laughs> <laughs> well, let us know if you've been in places other than hospital. <laughs> Well, we assume us. all of our listeners have been in the hospital so far, but if, <laughs> if anyone gets out, please let us know. Oh, well, this is sort of darkly related. Uh, John writes, Dear Salt and Pepper, what games will you still be playing when you're in a care home? I like this question, actually. Uh, Slay like, uh, like the Spire, let's face it. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say something like, uh, even actually something like The Witness or Manifold Garden, where there's kind of like low-key puzzles that create a constant sense of like just cognitive engagement of some kind and a sense Brain of training place oh well i think it's like being Im- embedded in the i'm assuming like i'm fully you know plugged into some kind of wonder vr kit and you know all goofed up on fart drugs or whatever <laughs> and um <laughs> i want to be i want to be in a world which is less harrowing than the one my my decaying physical body uh is in and is stimulating wow. and evocative. So something like Manifold Garden, which is just you know uh, endlessly s- stimulating in quite an exciting way. I think that'd be nice, hmm. beautiful and restful place to inhabit in my dotage. I might play some gentle wee bowling. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> what is um, the game like? We were talking about looking through childhood possessions earlier, um, and. I wonder, like, what games would you, when you're in retirement, want to load your save games from, from way back in the day? So Minecraft brings to mind, obviously, if you built some cool house or something, it would be, it'd be fun to look back on that in your old age and be like, oh, I forgot about this, and I made this whole dungeon, and <laughs> how the hell does this redstone contraption work, and stuff like that. But is there anything else? I don't think I'd want to do that. I find those kinds of things, like, feel quite dead in a in a disconcerting <laughs> way you know i think i'd I guess... probably do what i do now which is just a lot of crossword puzzles and a lot of casual phone games to be honest <laughs> i'm not a creature of change you really got ahead of the curve there didn't you <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm limbering up tom <laughs> ready for retirement <laughs> Oh, how do you? Um, I didn't really play much of Valheim, but for those who did, would you mm. would you care about going back to your old long houses and stuff in that? I love the save that Paul, uh, Chris, uh, I, me, and uh, our friend Paul had. Partly because I managed to kill our dog um, and <laughs> had to Finally. replace it quickly. <laughs> In a kind of, you know, they must never know. But then I felt so guilty, (laughs) I told them. But in trying to replace the dog, I sort of so went so over the top trying to make sure that it wouldn't happen again so had several dogs and then they started breeding and now there's like a whole it's like there's a sarcastic dog problem in our Valheim and um, they eat more meat than I can reasonably find so the whole thing is just it's a disaster but it's our disaster my disaster (laughs) (laughs) and by retirement there'll be a million dogs it'll be a whole civilization exactly they'll have taken over (laughs) there'll be no one left i think i mean this this is the thing i struggle with this and it's probably struggle with similar questions because like really obvious 
answers for me. Both of them are with D because I've played two games for the last 10 years, apparently, in the Dota and Destiny. And I could definitely imagine a scenario where I'm still playing those or something like them. But mm. I don't I don't necessarily want that to be the answer. Like, Dota is kind of the funny one because I'm imagining the very angry old man, like, you're kind of like playing chess equivalent, um, which is quite a funny image. But what, what kind of games are you going to be capable of playing when you're, you know, like... The thing is, so not to get for too me, dark, but you know, I mean, after the precipice of cognitive decline, when you... you're in VR and and you know, like I don't know, there's a lot of stuff playing Beat Saber like a fucking boss. Enables <laughs> access as well, like eye trackers and yeah, you know, there's a lot of accessibility stuff. So I tell you what, I probably want to like, I'd be like, finally, I have. Apparently, I'm, I'm playing Diablo. Um, finally. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Diablo's not a bad shout. Um, uh, like, finally, I have time to play all of Baldur's Gate again and realize that... Oh, no, my fingers have fallen off. <laughs> <laughs> um, God, those writers are getting a lot of airtime, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> the joke that never stops dying. Wait, what? You heard me. <laughs> <laughs> I think the hardest thing will be realizing that games that we remember from our youth are now like at that point old timey old person bizarro entertainment right where it's mm. like what's granddad doing like oh he's, he's playing his stories like <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean like it's like how i was at the co-op a little while ago and they had songs on the radio and I was like I know all of these and then I suddenly realised that this must now be what's on classic gold and I'm like oh no (laughs) yeah oh no I'm classic (laughs) but yeah I'll catch up on my RPGs I think that's what I'll do Wizardy writes dear grape and rhubarb is there a genre of games on which you'd say your opinion has significantly changed over the course of 400 episodes of this podcast I feel like I used to play a lot more FPS than I used to. Mm. Um, like that's just not really a feature of my regular playing diet at the moment. Yeah. And I feel like it used to be. Uh, that feels like maybe more to do with what's coming out though than my tastes. Like um, uh, the game Celico has been getting a lot of uh, buzz in the Steam Next Fest and I played a little bit of the demo of that and I, I'm excited about it. I want to wait till the full release. It's kind of like, a, it's a fear like um, do you mean Solaco? And sure, you can pronounce it that way. <laughs> Let's call the whole thing off. <laughs> no, I, I've never heard it said out loud, so you're probably right. No, I, I just um, didn't. I didn't quite catch what you said, I, but I thought it had different. Oh yeah. I said those same letters, but with different. Okay, emphasis. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, that looks really cool. And when that comes out, I'm sure I'll play it. But. Maybe, I mean, there are first-person games that I'm not playing that I could be. But I, it's just been such a weird thing, isn't it? Because that was just the that was the flagship genre for so mm. many years, you know, Half-Life and, um, and, yeah. and Quake and all of that. And then it just stopped being... And, like, Titanfall um, and Titanfall 2 uh, especially kind of had this weird status of being, like, um, they were the it would have been the biggest game in the world if that still was the biggest genre in the world yeah. like it's it's um it's good enough to to be that but the the sort of zeitgeist had moved on in some way sorry 
Ding, ding, ding. That was my phone telling me to go to bed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Savage. <laughs> um, <laughs> speaking of my old man's bedtime reminder is here. <laughs> <laughs> I can't switch it off. Oh, there it is. It's gone now. <laughs> yeah, we can't imagine what retirement's going to be like. <laughs> ding, ding. <laughs> <laughs> Snoozing God. happily. Um and we had to interrupt our activity for a big boom. <laughs> 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 the nurse had to take us. <laughs> At least I got up to do it. <laughs> we don't have any proof of that. <laughs> um, I think, anecdotally, like from the outside, Tom, I definitely associated you with like immersive sims, and now it's definitely like card games and tactics and roguelikes. So there's been quite a yeah. Roblox already took took over. I mean, it was already big and Splunky when we started this podcast, but um, yeah. uh, it became you know Splunky was an oddity. That was the the weird game that took this old genre called the roguelike and made it accessible. Um, and since then, that has become basically the default genre for an indie game. <laughs> um, and in amongst that, there's been loads of really good ones. Yeah. And yeah, definitely, I think. Yeah, I wonder if it, that is a change in me as well, because there's the role games play in my life now is so much about stress relief and just like sometimes I just fucking need to to succeed at something for a while, yeah, <laughs> and just have some controllable like uh, like loads of decisions, but but ones where I know what the factors are and I know what the outcomes might be, and there's some certainty surrounding the the uncertainty, and that that is a fun space to play in. It's sort of like a safe version of decision-making. And then the mm. rest of my life, all the decisions feel like wildly full of completely unknowable unknowns and uh, stakes that that could be anything. Mm. They're a break from the abyss is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. And just the abyss has yawned a lot wider these days. <laughs> <laughs> I think for me, it's that I... Uh, this is just a natural consequence of existing, but I have so much less patience for indie mood pieces. I was going to say <laughs> this as well. Like, it became one of my specialties, and especially with like the the interest in art. You mm. know, I kind of I saw so many five out of ten things that sort mm. of maybe looked great but went nowhere or that had kind of a a kind of interesting thesis and just couldn't do anything with it and just you know the more of them you play the the more you feel sort of the <laughs> the passing of time <laughs> and so it's just that thing of um there are some tropes or some um art styles that I began to really notice that I was suspicious of or that it was like I you know it my interest was either less or it was harder to win and I was like you know at first I was meeting games more than halfway and giving them the benefit of the doubt and stuff and then you know after a while you're just kind of like nope no more feelings (laughs) (laughs) stop it 
Yeah, as you're talking about this, so correct me um, if you're thinking of a different kind of game, but I immediately think of an indie game where the main character is in a coma mm-hmm. oh, and gosh. it's all a bit metaphorical and you're trying to reconnect with a girlfriend who you lost in the past. <laughs> there's just, there's so many like slight variations on stuff, but like a lot of high stakes stuff or like a relationship ending or, you know, the the sort of a traumatic childhood and I'm not I I don't want to take away from people wanting to share those stories or to get some sort of catharsis or you know make these connections with other people because like hopefully they land for whatever they're trying to do but like I find myself you know looking for them to do something new you know having played so many of them or such a kind of you know and then if so you all must have encountered this at various points with like judging IGF candidates you know like there's a lot of stuff in there that maybe gets submitted kind of half finished or kind of broken but has a kind of a very grand thesis statement about what it's actually about and you're kind of oh anyway yeah that's yeah. maybe a bit too in the weeds in terms of no, I think most people's access but yeah <laughs> I think there was a time when like just the idea that you would use games to explore feelings was kind of novel and kind of mm. interesting and felt like oh this is the new direction let's let's pay attention to this and so back then there was quite a lot of forgiveness for how you're doing it. Yeah. Um, and these days that forgiveness is completely gone. <laughs> like you, if you like, we know you can do that. That's not novel anymore. So if you're going to do it, we need to see you do it in a clever way or an interesting way. I tell you what, we actually have a, f- a few questions that also do orbit the subject of, oh God, we've done this 400 times. <laughs> so if, if, if we can probably loop some of these thoughts around these. So uh, I'll jump up and down the question list a little bit. Um, Joe writes, from the time around when the podcast began, what in gaming are you most nostalgic for? Could be a genre, a game, concept community, or anything. Yeah, my, mine connects back to a previous answer, which is uh, the FPS being the, the big genre that everyone's investing in, making cool stuff in, you know, the next... I don't need the next Half-Life necessarily, but just what was going to come after Half-Life, what was the thing that was going to knock Half-Life off the throne? And I would say magazines is the obvious one for us, right? Yeah, that's going to be my one. Or, an, or <laughs> and like an internet games media that wasn't yet com- like completely bent out of shape by SEO and advertising. Like, I, I guess as a games developer, I also like preferred the lower release rate, <laughs> like from a competitive standpoint. Unlike <laughs> um, uh, as yeah. a consumer, I suppose that like, uh, I, you know, more games is better, but I do also really miss that sense of like a strong shared cultural center to the medium that just its relative smallness to now provided yeah i basically agree with everything you just said (laughs) like and i'm trying to be wary of how much of that is is pure nostalgia right how much of that is well i'm not saying that the things the old days where i understood what was going on i think it's just different but yeah there's there's a danger with questions about nostalgia that you begin to valorize the past unfairly and there's lots of benefits to the games industry as it is now like just the wealth yeah. and diversity of games is astonishing. Absolutely. Like, I suspect those same experiences exist. Is is I guess what I'm saying. I think, I, it, but it's okay to miss our experience of that sort of shared lens on games at a particular point in time. Yeah. I don't think I feel that nostalgia for anything. Like, I don't think I have that pull apart from maybe like 
personal sort of moments. So when I felt like I had hit my stride with attending and covering esports events, like there was definitely, you know, a, a, a small window of time where that just felt good mm. and I missed that feeling and I miss going to those events and seeing the people from there. But that's so specific to myself and my personal like career development and the people being who they were then but other than that it's like I uh, yeah I don't feel like I'm I'm being pulled towards anything it's very I'm interested in what people are doing at the moment it has its shortcomings but my goodness back then did too so yeah you know and I just want to see what games people are making and working on and progressing with you know just in pure sort of like podcast nostalgia terms I suppose like the fact that right when we began this podcast there was usually like one game per week that everybody had played like not just on the podcast, but our listeners as well. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and now it's very, very rare that even two of us turn up on the podcast and we've played the same thing because there's just so many games. And that's not a bad thing, but I am also nostalgic for that just shared headspace that there was one thing that everybody was going to be talking about on a given week. That was that was cool to have that kind of water cooler stuff. Yeah, that focus. Yeah. It's interesting because I think I think for me... I've never had that. I've, I feel like I've never been playing the right game <laughs> or I've never been like, well, no, but do you know what I mean? Like, cause I, uh, my approach was different and my interests were different. And so, you know, when everybody was getting really excited about like, oh, you know, just to pluck an example, like, oh, Doom's back or something. And I'd just be like, I didn't play it back in the day. So it was like, okay <laughs> or you know when everyone was getting yeah. super into dishonored i i missed the boat on that when it first came out and stuff so it was you know like i was i was a bit late to that party so the discourse had already run through so. you should have more boring yeah. interests pip that's that's the secret here. <laughs> <laughs> it should just be more vanilla like us you should be paying more attention <laughs> <No>. <laughs> This kind of bounces off into Carlos's question, which is, has interest um, for, well, it's just kind of going directly for that, really. Has interest in game <laughs> mechanics and their depth decreased as you've left games journalism? Do you feel like you value different aspects of games now than when the podcast began? Well, you see, I thought I was going to answer no to this question, but then you pointed out how differently I answered the question about um, Citizen Sleeper from... Than, than from yeah. Tom. Um, so clearly my interests have sort of moved more towards narrative. But like, I I think also the games industry's interest in mechanics and depth has somewhat decreased, at least at like a, a superficial sort of um, how games are presented to the, their audience level. I, I also think like mechanics in a lot of genres are now so well iterated and established that they don't necessarily need to be talked about in the same way that they used to. Yeah. I mean, you talked about this, Tom, when you said, like, you know, Spelunky's become a genre, basically, in its own right. And the fact that these genres exist is testament to the fact that they are quite easy to just put in a box and push aside. Like, you, they already describe yeah. their function. And to describe their function further is to sort of repeat oneself. So that sort of... That definitely just wasn't true when it started. And, like... It, it, yeah. There might have been like a lot of you know like 
15 turn-based games before 2013 <laughs> i don't know um a few more than that but like there were yeah, there were still there were still so comparatively few of them that the minutiae of their differences was much more pronounced and it was valuable to understand and now like i think from a from a dev perspective uh there's there's still as much to think about as there ever was and obviously you have to make these kind of granular decisions about how mechanics work but like from a critical perspective i think it's become less key to enunciate these details unless they're like clearly malfunctioning um and and i think on yeah. top of yeah. that there's a lot of a lot of design work and thought has sort of been displaced uh to the detriment of gaming i think from moment to moment mechanics to meta structure advancement and like economic aspects and like those things are, are interesting and valuable i suppose and they're in their own right but I, I i personally don't find them as engaging to talk about as i would like uh digest out experience yeah i wonder if um uh they're like talking about the things i'm nostalgic for as well it's really interesting to look back at bullfrog's run like Bullfrog were this amazing company, like, and this mm. is one of the biggest differences you'll see if you look at magazines, you know, back in those days versus now, is back in those days, like PC Gamer would would have in pretty much every issue a game that scored ninety plus percent. Sometimes two games that scored ninety plus percent. Like every month, something was coming out that was an all time classic, and yet there are only about ten games coming out in mm-hmm. a month. Um, and Bullfrog made two of them. <laughs> like, <laughs> they, they would they had a run where like every single year they released a new game that scored above 90% in most magazines that was considered a classic. Most of them were in genres that didn't exist before. And sometimes they had two in a year. Mm. <laughs> and it was just insane. Just like Magic Carpet, Dungeon Keeper, all this stuff that they were just making shit up and they, they didn't need an established genre. And it's really interesting to compare that to now because you, you can still be that inventive, but with the glut of games we have now, I don't know if people are going to give you the time to find out whether your new interesting genre is going to actually pay yeah. off. Like it does happen, you know, Wordle is, is kind of a, a weird mm. new thing that people weren't making before and it did take off. Um, but you can't, I don't think you can be a studio that consistently does that anymore. Um, maybe there's just, there's less innovation space to explore in the first place. But I also just think there were back then with so few games around, we were all willing, we're just a captive audience. We were just going to find out what is this weird thing Bullfrogger made? I guess we'll find out whether it's cool. Oh, it is. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. But also what it I means think... to be a captive audience in that case and how big that audience needs to be is just completely changed to justify the cost of the production. Yeah. Right. Well, I was just going to say based on, it's kind of based on something that Marsh was saying actually, but about um, the mechanics conversation feeling like it receded, you know, in games writing and or in terms of, you know, what you would talk about overtly or explicitly in relation to games and I'm kind of something that I was just wondering or you know the thought that came into my mind and I have no example to to pull from but is just that there are so many different things going on and so many remixes of mechanics that have a, a very different feel or outcome it feels like we're in the age of the the vibe almost like it's Hmm. as in Hmm. you know it's it's more helpful when you're trying to explain what the experience of playing a game is like to invoke these other games and I don't think it's an accident that we've ended up with the oh it's like x meets y because that's an actual like uh, maybe a more efficient or a more um 
evocative way of saying what the experience of playing a game is like whereas if you sort of say well it's it's turn-based and there's time travel and then there's this other thing like it that doesn't necessarily come together in your head to tell you what the overall experience actually does or is or evokes yeah and i think the other thing is that like games simply sell themselves differently now what a partly just in terms of the scope of success but if it is successful but also um i was thinking about that era of a game getting a 90 in a magazine and and the the barrier that's created between text and the experience of playing the game and the you know the role of writing and kind of evoking the experience of a game you can watch video <laughs> you can watch someone play it right now live <laughs> like you don't you don't need that, frankly. I mean, obviously, it has its pleasures. It definitely does. I'm, you know, not going to, you know, dismiss it. But it's, it's, it's just not. It's it's deeply inefficient as a way of discovering whether or not you like something, right? Uh, and far more exact kind of experiences are imminently available, and that definitely changes the the way that I think the the process of sort of finding a new game works i guess i think i think for me the the change is mostly that like you know we talk about things like engagement and kind of the meta stuff i completely agree that that's where it dominates dominate the conversation but dominates a lot of the thinking around games and i do find it really interesting i think there's a lot of good thinking that goes into things like this it's possible to do those sorts of things responsibly and well and and with the right intentions and the right outcomes um and as i've moved into game development I have found myself interested in those problems and so on. And I find it like almost harder to discuss them in this context because um, there's a there's a, a dev perspective on these things and a consumer perspective on these things. And uh, it's vitally important that developers have, you know, maximum fucking empathy for players and what the experience of players will be. But crucially, it's not the same perspective and you can't create games from a player's perspective solely. And you know that's that's what has changed i suppose i've gained that other perspective and occasionally it does sort of like jump in and get in the way of my ability to experience something purely as a player mm. in the same way that playing games as a journalist taught you to find the anecdotes find the stories that emerge from them i think you're always kind of you know i think i've said it a few times in the podcast in the last couple of years when i've been kind of like quietly appreciative of what strikes me as like like a really good production decision <laughs> or a sign that someone at the company making a game was willing to make difficult, mm. com have difficult conversations about what the game could be. And that's stuff that I just wouldn't have appreciated 10 years ago, but I do now. Jump along to another question that I think might kind of, um, kind of pull us out of the, um, what, what do we regret, miss or lament <laughs> about times violence? <laughs> and, um, all of it <laughs> and uh and and you know uh point us in a different direction so drew writes for each of you what has been the favorite game that you've played since the podcast began his predictions are as follows chris destiny tom francis spelunky or slay the spire huh had i not played spelunky when the podcast began uh it's a hair to split i have but i yeah Maybe. I think probably. It's only featured definitely, very early on. What, what, so, definitely mean, old Spelunky. What year did we start? 2013. 
Okay, yeah, I played Splunky then, because Splunky inspired me to make Gunpoint, and that was 2010. Uh-huh. So let's buy then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the one. <laughs> Narrows it down. Did it get it right for you, Chris? I was already playing Dota when the podcast began, so he's right to not identify that. Destiny is like, I've played almost as much Destiny as I've played Dota, which really should suggest mm. that it's up there. So, yes, I think so. It's weird. It feels like there should be like some other kind of like clearer, you know, uh, favorite. But in terms of uh, games that have occupied my time and imagination and the time we've been recording this podcast. Yeah, I do think he's right. And also, I have enjoyed, I think this is crucial to the podcast rather a bit. It is a game that I have enjoyed talking about as well. Or at the very least, that one conversation with Alex, which is one of my favorite <laughs> things I've been involved in the podcast. How about what was the prediction for Marsh? There wasn't. Yeah. I, I think he only he only oh. guessed for me and Tom F, which is also a mystery. Also a decent call because we are the only two people who've been in all of these. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I see. Well, the most would... predictable patients. Yeah. What would your prediction be for Marsh? Oh God, <laughs> I'm going to say the witness. Hmm. Ooh. Heroes of the Storm. Hunt Showdown. Good guesses, but um, uh, probably go Disco Elysium actually. Oh yeah. Hmm. Or maybe right. Bloodborne. Mm. But probably mm. Disco Elysium. Bloodborne's up yes. there with me for me actually. Um, definitely. I think I may even pick it if it wasn't didn't feel like picking at the wound of that unfinished series. So. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's that's Pip? that's predict pips Ooh. if that's. And a possible thing to do, which it isn't. <laughs> I mean, Subnautica. Oh yeah, that's a good guess. Springs mind. Or no Animal Sky. Crossing. Slime Rancher. <laughs> We're just saying. <laughs> Got a lot of suggestions here. Oh, I wasn't <laughs> sure if it was going to be like a PC only because obviously Animal Crossing has been a. But you uh, discovered Animal massive... Crossing before recording the podcast, right? I mean, yeah, I'd been playing it since GameCube. Um, the series so but yeah i but tom you are completely right i would have gone with subnautica oh cool cool mm-hmm. this is sort of related zoe writes which game would you play 400 times without complaint that's no i there would be complaints <laughs> yeah i, yeah. I was <laughs> gonna say switch that off <laughs> <laughs> so impossible for pip and marsh i think mm-hmm and actually, is this impossible for all of us? Because I can't I, mean, I can't imagine you playing a game without shouting at something at some point, Tom. <laughs> oh, the answer on. certainly isn't Slay the Spire. Like I would play Slay the Spire four hundred times, but I'd absolutely complain on two hundred of those occasions. Exactly. <laughs> uh but is there one is there one that's like sufficiently chill that I just don't I don't give a fuck? Probably not. You wouldn't like it <laughs> if you didn't give a fuck. <laughs> that is true. The the line between investment and frustration is extremely <laughs> narrow. I will say that having done over four hundred New York Times crosswords with Chris, I don't think it's possible for him either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah maybe like Wordle. I don't get mad at it. I don't think. I fucking rage quit Wordle. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, actually, yeah, the, the time that I lost, I was pretty angry. <laughs> Everyone, I tell you, what, this is the most consistent arc in the business. Everyone's like, yeah, 
Wordle's just a chill time. I'm having a great time. Yeah, it's <laughs> uh, just do it every day. I'm having a good until the moment they lose their hundred percent completion, right? And then it's yeah. like fuck this forever because it hasn't <laughs> happened for me. I didn't. Really? I don't. I didn't play that game <laughs> to learn what it is for something to be in irrevocably ruined. What streak are you on? I'm not on a streak, but I have got every one. Oh, okay, that I like have you missed days, but every day. For yeah, it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some some of these Wordle likes uh, very generously don't count it against you if you miss a day. Like, mm. so if you fail, you break a streak. But as long as you everyone you got, everyone you tried, you got, then you, your streak continues, which I think is good. Okay. But yeah. Wordle, I broke my streak. I did stick with it, um, but now I no longer care about streaks. Like, I missed Saturdays, I think, this week. I just don't give a shit now. I pay the Duolingo owl so that I can have a day off. (laughs) (laughs) What does that mean? (laughs) Like, you can... I don't know if it's only if you pay the... Like, for the premium thing, but, like, you have your streak and you can pay using some kind of in-game currency for like um streak freezes so that if you miss one day uh, wow. then it doesn't break your streak but it does cost <laughs> you the, the freeze token or whatever you must pay the owl price exactly <laughs> that owl the owl is on at me at the moment because it's like you've got half an hour left to to not oh, no. ruin your entire life <laughs> Jesus. It's like, calm down. We should owl. move this on. <laughs> no, no, it's okay because I've paid the owl price, remember? Oh, okay. <laughs> it's like, if we keep podcasting through tomorrow, then we've got problems. <laughs> like Balon Greyjoy saying, Did you pay the gold price? Did you pay the iron price or the owl price? <laughs> <laughs> Duo flaps in, like, hola. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even learning Spanish. Anyway. Uh, Let's jump on to the questions. Shut up, Chris. I was like, I'm just scanning. I ran out of, (laughs) I ran out of road. All right. I needed to give myself more time to scroll. um, And I failed. Um, uh, I was trying to go back to Carlos momentarily because it made me laugh. Another question. I finished Dark Souls this weekend. What's your take on the second half of the game versus the first half? Now, I'm going to forbid myself and Marsh from answering this. <laughs> what? <laughs> I think it picks up in the second half. Um, I think that everybody sort of gets their act together a little bit. They've got their eyes on the prize. <laughs> Come on, um, guys. Let's sort this out. If we really, just work together. like I feel like the substitutions paid off. <laughs> Um, and, like it was just goals as far as the eye could see um, and we didn't even need the uh, stoppage time to be honest yeah <laughs> that's my I Dark heard. Souls press conference and I'm sticking with it I, I was honestly also going to go into a football management direction <laughs> so <laughs> you beat me to it um, I, I heard that there's some like weird snaky worm things that have something to do with time and yeah. destiny and so um i think I, th- I reckon once they rock up in like the second half um gets all a bit whiffly and it's downhill from there <laughs> <laughs> well i think they basically nailed it so yeah yeah that's a, it's Next a question. take yeah <laughs> 
Um, what Andy writes, uh, what games have you played that have led to new areas of interest outside of gaming? For example, playing Shogun Total War led to an interest in Japanese military history. I think I discovered most concepts through video games when I was young. So <laughs> I can't remember f- for sure, but I think I might have played Hollow Point VR before I took an archery lesson. Mm. And if so, that would have been why. Loving sword fighting games definitely made me do fencing. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, there's two reasons you do fencing if you are 20 years old in a university in this country. And one of them is you are a big nerd. And the other (laughs) is you're like... Big nerd. No. (laughs) (laughs) Your dad is a big earl. Those are the two reasons. (laughs) It's, um, yeah. Earl or nerd, the... uh... I don't well, conundrum. Alienated versus predator, really. Um, oh, wow. Anyone else for any more? Watching you play PT made me very much not interested in the dark. <laughs> or, you know, small corridors. Mm. Uh, yeah. Mm. Or indeed that end of the PlayStation menu. <laughs> mm. Incredible. <laughs> It's more about a grudge than a um, an actual answer to the question, but never mind. Marsh has did uh, did hunt spur in you a new interest in bogs. <laughs> I was already well into bogs. <laughs> I know. Uh, I don't know. I, was there, I can't really think of anything. I like. I can't think of like a whole new area of interest that hadn't been sparked at all. Even if I was like you know largely ignorant, <laughs> um, but maybe like the many crimes against the historical record that the Call of Duty series makes <laughs> has prompted me to better understand history. Mm. We've got a few sort of uh, kind of nice, like, wrap-up, uh, you know, commemorating the occasion questions to come. Uh, Richard writes, well, when will you all get together again talk about games while drunk on rum? Truthfully, <laughs> probably <laughs> never. I don't know. Maybe it'll happen. We are in different countries Marsh now. has rum this evening. He does, yeah. I've nearly finished that bottle of cider. I've had my whiskey. I think the specific, mm. I think the operative part of here that's difficult yeah. is the get together again. Um, yeah. We yeah. have scattered to the four winds and remote recording is it's, likely the It's normal. very awkward. Right after I moved away, um, so did all of my family. They all moved to France. Mm. Um, so I don't have a family reason to visit the UK now. So when I do it, it's going to be purely for friends, um, which I do want to do at some point. But pandemic also makes it extra <laughs> difficult. Yeah. Given given that's a slightly uh, a slight downer, we should move to the celebratory side of this. Marie asks, "What memorabilia should commemorate the occasion of your four hundredth episode?" Well, and yes, I know I just said four hundredth, right? <laughs> <laughs> but it is. <laughs> It is the fourth of the hundreds. Um, Our first podcast was called I Deserve Infinite Dragons. So I feel like if that were ever true, then we should be slowly moving towards fulfilling that promise by apportioning (laughs) 400 dragons for this episode. (laughs) More dragons each year, yeah. (laughs) I feel like we should just sort of cask a rum at this point or something like that, right? Like, (laughs) yeah. Good, Good bottle of whiskey. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a crate and a crowbar? I don't, oh, yeah. Like, That's is a pretty that... good answer. <laughs> too uh, yeah, too I mean, obvious. Yeah. Like, too on the nose. Uh-huh. The crate should contain whiskey. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, I'm fully here for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, DM Down Under writes, if each of you dropped a specific loot item when defeated, what would it be? 
Oh, God. Big sack full of feet. (laughs) (laughs) Finally. You're the real foot clan. Yeah. I thought you'd handed them in for the quest. (laughs) They've been incinerated now, yeah, as they rightfully should have been. These are the matching pairs. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like Tom's Foot Clan thing went under the radar there. <laughs> yeah, that, that deserves more respect. <laughs> That's very good callback. Thank you. <laughs> I would drop a toothpick. I always carry a toothpick now. Mm. Do you? Do yeah. you kind of what? work it at wallet. the edge of your mouth like a 1950s gangster? Yeah. No, not not typically, unless there's actually something stuck in my teeth. Is this like for lock picking or something? Like, no, it's honestly for picking my teeth. <laughs> <laughs> this, I mean, that is... Anyway, we can deal with this later. <laughs> I mean, I definitely dropped my house keys. Actually, my house keys are an object of fascination over here because um, the kind of... So my house uh, back in the UK had like a Yale lock and then like a... What's called, I think, a deadbolt, which is like um, you have a longer cylindrical key with a thing with a bit sticking out of it, which is hard to describe because it's just, that's what a key looks like. That's what I would say is a key. That might well be the correct term for it. But when you show it to anyone in North America, they're like, oh, you have Harry Potter keys. (laughs) Do you live in fucking Hogwarts? (laughs) I think I would probably just drop like a pound coin and a chicken drumstick or something completely like (laughs) after like vanishing into a puff of smoke, you know? That's, that's very 2015 night out. This, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Mine would probably just be some food. No, oh God, I mean, you, you, you were covered just... in objects yeah, all the time. packet of jam. <laughs> yeah, it would be probably an unlikely item of food. Some buttons. Or, you know, the contents of that list. The warm loaf and the owl buttons and the whatever the hell the other thing was. Stamps. You know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. A croissant. Some kind of bowl of porridge. I don't know. What was it the other day? Was it a whole croissant? What, in my bag? Yeah. There was actually like a croissant print in my old journalism notebook because um, I wasn't supposed to take it into the FanFest briefing. Um, so I hid it in between the pages of my notebook <laughs> and like <laughs> held it shut while they frisked me for other contraband and then like i thought you meant it was like a croissant themed notebook with a you know croissants printed throughout it but <laughs> no, no, no. I mean literally like there is the, the imprint of an actual croissant there was like a perfect half moon grease print and a lot of crumbs <laughs> actually you so, know what? press yeah. them like flowers i would drop a single soft boiled egg that is so you it is isn't it <laughs> I just, I mean, I just love a soft-boiled egg. And I think that I'd like that to be marked upon the occasion of my defeat. Still... And a hairband, maybe. <laughs> Nowadays, yeah, probably a thing. hairband. Yeah. Would you have a dying bark, Chris? Yeah, that's a good question. I won't buy... I know exactly what mine would be. Oh, come on! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I've been saying, oh, beans a lot lately, so I think it would be that. <laughs> I'd be like, you get the health bar all the way down, it'd flash, and I'd be like, ah, oh, beans, and then it'd explode, and there'd just be a little uh, perfect egg, peeled soft boiled egg. Very confusing. <laughs> beans, but I was egg. promised beans. <laughs> and then I'd be like, can I have that to go with my croissant? Yeah. 
which brings us to the last couple of questions we have, which are kind of similar. Uh, so I'll, I'll read them both out at the same time. Simon writes, favorite podcast moment? And Keith writes, congrats on reaching 400 episodes. What have been some of the most memorable moments from recording all these episodes of the podcast? I've got a good one. Yeah. My favorite moment mm. is genuinely my favorite moment, possibly in any audio medium, is when Pip tricked Tom <laughs> into telling a knock knock joke that he didn't know the punchline <laughs> to. <laughs> I don't even remember this. Uh, it's genuinely one of the things that I occasionally think about. I end up crying because it makes me laugh so much. Oh, yeah. Okay, Tom. I do. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not doing it again. <laughs> I might not remember it, but I've learned from the principle just from that angle. I think there was. Uh, you and I have a lot of memorable moments, Pip. The, the opposites debacle. The. Oh, um, God, yeah. Didn't there be a fox in it? Destroyed yeah. me for yeah. <laughs> a good hour. <laughs> I think when we get in that mood, we set each other off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we are in many sense opposites. <laughs> I, I'm going to put in a vote for uh, Give Me 80 Days in a Wizard, which I think was you, Chris. <laughs> I, <can't remember laughs> just, I, I think, I, I don't think you meant to say it that way. It was like, uh, give me the game 80 days and <laughs> a wizard. But then it just sounded like Give Me 80 Days in a Wizard. It was, it was a title of that episode and it just uh, cracked me up. Um, I think one of mine will always be, because I mean, it led to a, a bit forever, but Alex accidentally saying low hanging flute rather than a low hanging fruit. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, that, yeah. Um, Tom Senior's embarrassing himself on a train story. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> which I think was from one of the other episodes, anniversary oh. episodes, actually. His disco, like his <laughs> yelling at a child story. Um <laughs> Can you remind me of the basics of that? It rings yeah, a bell. I don't know that that one. Uh, Tom, C I, if I remember correctly, Tom Senior was wronged on a train and just had that kind of existential crisis of being a, like, you know, actually kind of uh, deciding to express some animus rather than simply bottle it up like the rest of us do all the time, and then dealing with the cascading <laughs> sort of um mortification crisis that inevitably follows um i mean the more recent example of this is me and alex gate crashing tom senior's wedding um oh yeah that's good um, <laughs> like a bunch of big dickheads um i loved recording the D, &D series that was a good that yeah. was just, that that hot i mean there's not a moment so much as the um that whole mad day um was really really fun uh uh, particularly yeah. the um, the completely uncontrollable. Well, here's the thing: it should be completely uncontrollable to have two Arakocra characters that can fly. It turns out only <laughs> one of them was completely uncontrollable, <laughs> <laughs> and it was as you'd expect. Um, <laughs> I very much one of my highlights of that D and D thing was um, uh, I, I picked a warlock who's one of their talents was to impersonate someone else and I'm not a 
performer and you are Chris and you had very <laughs> very admirably done like different voices for everybody and then when I realized I'd cast a spell to like imitate somebody I was like oh fuck I actually have to do an impression of your performance now <laughs> like I am not cut out for this and then I, I think I rolled like a crit success and so even though like my actual delivery of it in person was terrible everyone had to completely believe it <laughs> I think well I mean I, I, I leveled this at a that that whole campaign was a worked backwards from a pun so I really can't mm. uh, blame anyone else for doing that. I think, um, I think yeah. my one memory that really sticks with me is, Chris, when you and Tom Senior were sat opposite me at the table in Marsh's old place, realising that I still... At Having finished Bioshock, oh, had yeah. still not Figured out. realized the the twist <laughs> because <laughs> I'd been busy like titting about, not paying attention as the great reveal happened. Yeah, and like both of you were just sort of like verbally prodding around to see if I really <laughs> had like completely missed everything and then just the disbelief on both of your faces was um while I was still trying to pass what was going on and then you couldn't tell me because you were laughing too hard and I was like oh no (laughs) it happened again (laughs) ah we've had fun haven't we well we have one final very important question uh it comes from John what's the opposite of a 400th episode (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my god my gut reaction is a 500th episode <laughs> oh my god no 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 <laughs> yes good do psychic damage to Tom <laughs> keep going I, I, I've got to say negative 400th episode or <laughs> what about someone who's like deleted 400 episodes of a podcast <laughs> We've could cre- achieve that. We found someone else's podcast and just wiped We have it off. definitely created at least one of those tonight. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Um, well, that is all of the questions we have time for. However, I believe it's not all of the 400th episode we have yet. To honk. Hmm. <laughs> I've prepared questions for you, although that seems surplus to requirements at whatever massive time this has gone on for. Um, but I have a quiz. <gasps> yeah, let's get Yay! that energy level back up, everybody. <laughs> We're all fucking dying. Uh, I'm breaking out the whiskey quiz. right now. <laughs> it's short. Thanks, Pip. <laughs> oh, thank God. <laughs> Thank you. I explain the rules? Yes. Oh, God. Please do. So this is a quiz all about the games that you personally like. Um, there are three rounds, and during each round, you each get your own question. This oh. question is tailored to you. They're about games that you're particularly familiar with, so naturally, they would be easy for you. If you get them right, you get a point. However... Before you hear the question, you can also choose to swap your question with another player. And if you get a swapped question right, you get three points instead. 
Now you each Ooh. in each of the three rounds, you'll each have a chance to go first, and you pick who goes next. Is that reasonably clear? I mean, <laughs> it is. This is, and also, I just want to say, Marsh, you have a great voice for this. Do I? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's really good. Oh, thanks. Honestly, um, this is far more of an actual real. When you said, "I've made a quiz," I was like very much in the headspace of, you know. It's the 400th episode, time for a silly goblin winky quiz or whatever this is going to be. It'll be a clusterfuck. (laughs) (laughs) But no, but I'm I'm just glad that you're letting us determine the shape and trajectory of the clusterfuck. (laughs) You know, I'm impressed by the effort. So just to read... I have a rules question. Yes, of course you do. Shall I read you two additional rules that I suspect (laughs) anticipate this? Yes. So if somebody has swapped with you, you can then swap the question you have received from them with the remaining players um but you can't swap to a question that has already been answered obviously <laughs> okay was that your question it, no my question is like so i let's say i get a question uh you, like you come to me and i say no i don't want to answer my question i'm going to swap with pip uh i get a chance to answer pip's question and i get three points of that i'm right does pip also get a chance to answer my question and she gets three points if yes. she's right so, but I could okay. also swap with so Chris. So it might be net neutral. It could be. It could be. <laughs> you just don't know. It depends how confident you feel about sea creatures, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> how confident you feel about Slay the Spire, Pip. <laughs> Not at all, but I'll lie and try for a point anyway. I'm hoping that there's some kind of, well, you're way off base, but I'm entertained. I would uh, how should we determine who goes first in the first round? Uh, left to right on the Mercator progression of the globe. <laughs> <laughs> it's a globe. Yeah. It's a circle. <laughs> so that means Tom goes first, right? It does, yeah. So Tom, would you like... I am on the edge of the world to which there is nothing <laughs> to the west. Would you like to answer your own question for a, a simple one point? Or would you like to swap your question with one of the two others? Let's fuck it up immediately. And <laughs> I will, as as speculated, sort with Pip. That may prove interesting to be a good choice. Tom, Shit. what is on the top of the second plinth you encounter in the puzzle game, A Monster's Expedition? Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. I don't remember. Uh, I did play and complete it. Uh, but that means the second plinth was that all that longer ago. Now, <laughs> <laughs> um, now I've just got to think of anything that was on a plinth and <laughs> throw it in. It was a while ago now. I, I'm gonna say, ah, oh, fuck. Oh no, I'm drawing a total blank. <laughs> I was gonna say a horseshoe. It was a plinth. <laughs> I was going to say it. Ah, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Pip, that, that is the longest that is the longest con you've ever pulled on Tom Francis. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping it'd be a Subnautica question because I did play that. Well, Bad luck. sucks to be you then, doesn't it? <laughs> Tom, who would you like to receive the next question? Oh, so, wait! I, I thought it automatically swapped with Pip. If I no, you can you can still choose because Pip could. But you, yeah. mm. So whoever I pick has to answer my question. No, whoever you pick goes next, but they have a choice of answering their own question, 
Or if they're Chris swapping with Pip. <laughs> or in fact, if they're Pip swapping with Chris, that would still be valid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh I don't totally understand the consequences, so I'm going to choose Chris. Okay. Chris, would you like to answer your own question or steal Tom's question from Pip? <laughs> what? So, so this is the question, the strategic question here is, is Pip going to be more likely to accurately answer my question or Tom's? So I'm going to answer my own. No is my <laughs> yeah, answer. I'm going to answer my own question like a coward, like a wretched coward. <laughs> Chris, what is the name given to the species of cute pointy-eared, tree-like humanoid in the forthcoming game Hytale. They are are Quebex. Correct for a single point. Single cowardly point. I think this is going to be the dominant strat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but you don't get to go first for the next two rounds, my friend. (laughs) Yeah, you'll have to steal somebody's question if if you want to be in the lead. Oh, shit. Pip. Yeah. Hi. You are the remaining player for round one, which means you need to answer the question. How many times do you have to punch someone to get an achievement in the video game Gunpoint? <laughs> oh, God. Do you know what? I'm not 100% sure of the answer to that. <laughs> oh, I think I know. Correct. Three points to <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I would have got that wrong. I was going to say 20. Well, I'm going by what I first Googled, so it might be incorrect, but I, I think it's on. No, I think, oh, I, think right. I think 20 is 20 might be when the messages start appearing, and then 100 might be when you get the achievement. <laughs> so who was, who is um, east of Tom? I think we established yeah, it was that Pip. That would be you. But I think, oh, yeah. Yeah, I think at then... the beginning, it, like arbitrarily established that it's Pip. Okay. Well, round two, mm-hmm. Pip, would you like to All answer right. your own question? Or would you like to swap? I'm going to swap with Chris. Interesting. Pip. I'm going to regret this. I don't know, actually. There's some overlap here. Does not compute is the name of what manner of legendary weapon in Destiny 1? Oh, God. Oh, shit. Is it a shotgun? No. Chris, do you know the answer? Not you get a point for it. I'm just, you know. Is it a scout rifle? It is. How cruel. <laughs> I'm such a nerd. Fuck me in hell. <laughs> That's the cruelty of this. Okay, well, uh, I nominate Chris, who has to decide whether he knows my kind of game or Tom's kind of game better. Indeed. I yeah. will swap with Pip. <laughs> Um, well, hang on. You've already <laughs> you've already swapped with Pip, right? Wait, uh, oh, okay, yeah. So what? Because <laughs> <laughs> Pip swapped with you, so you already have Pip's question. Oh, I, but that's that right makes now. sense. Yeah. If you swap back again, yeah. you'd get the question. I just thought. <laughs> I was like, not right. Um, <laughs> I think actually I can answer that one. <laughs> uh, I will. I will keep Pip's question. I, I mean. still can't. <laughs> Chris. I wasn't listening. What kind yeah. of butterfly can be found during every month of the year in Animal Crossing New Horizons? Uh, a monarch? Pip, do you know the answer? That sounds right. Is it the common yellow one? According to the Wikipedia page, it may be wrong. It's a paper kite butterfly. Mm. Huh. huh. Whoa. The more you know. I didn't I know that. that. I don't know. 
I, I was making guesses as to how difficult these questions were. I had no idea. I'm sorry. Um, Don't be sorry. I would have got all three of the first round, though. I was so <laughs> proud of myself. <laughs> Tom, it remains to you to answer your own question. How much does an ank cost in Spelunky 1? Oh, fuck. You wrote an article about this. Yeah, I did. It's on your own website. I know it really well. I've done it, <laughs> I've done it hundreds of times. <laughs> it's like, okay, Spelunky 1, the prices weren't that different. I think I think a jetpack is 20,000 in both games normally, but then prices also have inflation over, over the different levels. But the Ankh is only available in the black market, so its price is fixed. And so I think it's more than 20,000. I think it's 50,000. Correct! Yes! Valiant. Point. So at the end of... I don't think you should be allowed to use that much reasoning in your answer. <laughs> gut feelings only. Vibes only. Look, I'm four drinks in, I have no gut feelings anymore. <laughs> So at the end of round two, the scores are Tom one, Chris one, Pip three. Yes. Moving into round three, <laughs> it requires numerical answers, percentages, Uh-oh. in fact. Now, Ooh, I'm, I, like oh, I know where this is going. As an added level of generosity, <laughs> if your answer is wrong, but you're plus or minus two from the actual number, then I'll give you a point. If you're plus or minus one, you get two points. And if you get it exactly right, you get three points. Oh no! Wow. So Tom, it's very well thought oh, sorry, out. Sorry, no, it's uh, Chris first. Would you like to have your own question, or swap to another's? And in this round, if you swap to another's, you get an additional three points on top. I'm going to swap with Tom. Get. Jesus, Chris. Yeah. What score did Evan yeah. Larty give to XCOM oh, Enemy Unknown for PC Gamer <laughs> magazine? <laughs> All right, this has got to be a gimme. It's got to be 85. Uh, I'm so flattered you think I know this. <laughs> no, hang on. Enemy Unknown, the Fraxis one. This is going to be a rare 91. Oh, if only you'd stuck with your first answer. Oh, fuck, was it? It was 87. Ah, oh, for fuck's sake. Wow. That was the first Fraxis remake, was it? Yes, yeah. Yeah. Man, that's quite low. For it that. is. That was a very good game. Who would you, you like send to him an email. answer the next question? Uh, Tom. Tom, you have one point. In order to <laughs> beat Pip, you will be required. Oh no, you could no, you could still win, couldn't you? Because you could get this score exactly right. Would you like to How many right rounds are there? This is the this final is the last round. round. This is the final round, assuming there isn't going to be a tiebreaker for which I have a prayer a good question. <laughs> wow, really <laughs> amazing. Would you like to swap the question you currently have, which is Chris's, or <laughs> answer it yourself? Wait, what? Oh, you mean swap yes. with Pip? Or uh, Basically, my choice is to answer Chris's question or answer Pip's question, right? That's correct. Sorry, yeah. I could have phrased that much more clearly. And... <laughs> it would be classified. <laughs> That's actually pretty tricky, because Chris has a lot of like games he goes really deep on that I have no knowledge See, I got of. confident. I thought it has the... a much wider range of games. <laughs> I thought the question was going to be about things that we had reviewed. Or... Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Stupidly, I thought that would be too I... easy, but probably not. <clears throat> I thought it was going to be about like the percent of episodes we'd all been on. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm going to try Pip's question again. <laughs> all right. What score did Alex Wiltshire Give Opus Magnum for PC Gamer magazine. 
that could almost be a me question, I feel like. Uh, I don't know it, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, fuck, it's really good. And I think he agrees it's really good. Um, like, I would definitely give it 90 plus. Um, but did he? <laughs> I'm going to say 89. That was going to be my guess. He got 91. I would have said 90. Ah, so that means... Okay, so I get one point for yes. that? That's right, isn't oh. it? Yes, that's one point. Cool. Good job. <laughs> Pip, you've He's you've right. won. Like it, so, it should be so you don't need to answer the final question. Yes. But will you anyway? Uh, yeah, why not? <laughs> what score did Justice. Phil Savage give Dishonored 2 for PC Gamer magazine? Ooh, um, I'm going to go with 89. It was 93. Nil point. Fuck. But it doesn't matter because you're already absolutely triumphant. <laughs> I was wondering if there was going to be a scenario where I answered so wrong that you docked points. <laughs> <laughs> the tiebreaker was what is the combined height in centimetres of former, former PC game colleagues Rich McCormick and Graham Smith? <laughs> in centimetres. Oh, 15 feet easy. <laughs> What's that in centimetres? I have no idea. I would go 400 uh, I'm actually, and yeah, let, me, let me figure it out. 13. I'd say 425. So hang on. Six feet would be 72. <laughs> <Jeez>. Audio <laughs> gold. <laughs> logic again. <laughs> 225. Eight. Yeah, I'm going to say five, seven, 500. Three. 374 centimeters. What? Really? What? I was That's nothing. What? Between the two of them? <laughs> I think so. Yeah, that might, Are you sure? <laughs> my, my maths might have gone. It seems wrong. low. I'm 165 centimetres high, and Graham is like two of me. <laughs> this is what I. So. <laughs> Graham is 187.96 centimetres, which I rounded oh. up. And um, Rich is 186. No, oh, that, that, that follows then. Yeah. Gosh, we don't know okay. how tall they are at all, do we? <laughs> but I was closer. Yeah, you were closer, so you, you double win. Win again. I win again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I retire from the podcast undefeated. <laughs> Thank you. That was really fun, Marsh. Yeah, that was good, Marsh. Yeah. Agonizing, but fun. Well designed. Yeah. I would have failed every one of my own questions. <laughs> Well, that truly is all of the time that's left in the well, my phone will not shut up about me going to bed, I've got to say. <laughs> um, so it is that time. Thank you so much for listening to our 400th episode. Um, but I, I figured I figured before we, we say goodbye, because normally at this point, we, we obviously do the, the wrap up and things and, and we will get to that. Um, and we've kind of given up on shouting out to social media in the last couple of you know years of the podcast. But I thought it might be nice if people are willing to just, uh, you know, give give you all a chance to say a little bit about what you're working on and what's going on. Because when we started this, we were all games journalists, as we've talked about many different times, we have all been ravaged by entropy to the point where we're now game developers. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, we it's don't usually that. talk about what we're up to. So it might be a nice opportunity to do that. So, yeah, Tom, what's going on at the moment? Uh, yeah, thank you. We are currently um, running a beta of Tactical Breach Wizards 
It's our third beta, I think. Um, it's wrapping up now, so it's too late to sign up for it, I'm afraid. But we recently released a new trailer, which you can check out. Uh, that was part of the PC Gaming Show at Naughty 3 this year. Uh, wizards.cool is always the URL. And that game is still a while <laughs> off. We don't have a release date for it. It's going to be just a fucking while, because games take a long time. <laughs> Nice. Just um, just so you know, a friend of mine um, who was helping me move house didn't know that I knew you, and um, it was like completely unprompted said that that was the game that they were most looking forward to. Oh, that's amazing! Thank so, you. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's actually it's, it's really nice. We just hit a threshold with this new beta that like people are sort of spontaneously talking about on Twitter in a way that they didn't previously saying that they really enjoyed it so we're, we're finally starting to hit that like nice point in the game development where you sort of tip over a certain threshold of people you don't have to persuade people to be enthusiastic about it <laughs> like it just seems to happen now yeah the uh, trailer went down very well in work slack for me oh awesome yeah, so it's a good one what are you up to pip um, so I am doing uh, narrative design and writing on uh, Little Kitty Big City, which is a oh, yeah. sandbox game about a cat who is trying to make their way home, but is very distracted by cool things to do. Um, so yeah, uh, there's that. And there's an unannounced project that uh, I'm working on and two things that may or may not come back around at the moment i am waiting to hear so yeah oh and some illustration work hmm. awesome marsh i am working on some tabletop role-playing games we've released three modules uh all called teeth with various subtitles and the actual book is something that i'm laying out right now and we will kickstart shortly i've also recently received my green card which means i can now legally work oh, again congrats. <laughs> so um oh, awesome. if anybody wants to employ me that would um that would be pretty cool although um maybe <laughs> maybe based upon uh my presentation in the podcast is not the most auspicious way to, to get hired <laughs> <laughs> pod for the job you want um <laughs> uh host of the chase apparently um <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, I am still still working away on Hytale. It's what I do for a living. I recently stepped into a, a new job title and now narrative lead for Hytale. Um, Ooh, congrats. Thanks. Uh, and on the, uh, the side, I have also recently, well, recently been able to talk about it, uh, started writing fiction for Black Library, which is the sort of Warhammer uh, fiction wing uh, first story is out now. It's called Cauldron of Blood, and it's about very, very angry elves. And there's uh, more to come, quite a bit more, actually. So that's uh, what I am doing now. It's just, it's wizard stories in the morning. It's wizard stories in the day. <laughs> and occasionally, it's wizard stories in the evening. And Wizards that's... who came from the moon. Well, well, we'll see. <laughs> no spoilers. Sometimes they go back. Um, the Cauldron of Blood is the only Warhammer book I have ever bought, and I very much enjoyed it. Great. Oh, nice. Thanks. My mum yeah. liked it as well. So maybe <laughs> maybe your mum will. The perfect It's a gift. crowd pleaser. It really is. Cauldron of Blood. Everyone yeah. loves it. If you're... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, that's all of the podcasts we've got time for uh, as we embark on the 
the fifth century of of this. Um, <laughs> good God! As we approach know. the opposite episode. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was minus eight hundred episodes ago. <laughs> uh, good. Well, uh, if if you uh, for whatever reason would like to find the rest of these. Uh, you can find them on greatandcrowbar.com. We also find a link for our Discord uh, community uh, where you can discuss these. Um, they're also on YouTube, these uh, at youtube.com forward slash greatandcrowbar, <laughs> along with some other videos, including the Bloodborne series and Never Finished and assorted other things. Um, thank you very much, very much thank you to everyone who supports the uh, Create and Crowbar Patreon. I appreciate that. I think we launched the Patreon at uh, after the 100th episode or even in the 100th episode and so uh that's 300 episodes that you've supported us through right now some of you uh and that's very very much appreciated it has allowed us to keep doing this for as long as we've been doing it it's what's... and you can't take it back <laughs> <laughs> i actually don't know what patreon's terms of service is <laughs> they might they, be able they to may it let you do that um, please don't take it back please <laughs> um, uh, yeah uh, but if you'd like to find out more about Patreon's terms of service you can find them at <laughs> patreon.com and if you manage to press through and you're happy with what you find there you might want to also visit patreon.com forward slash thank you very much if you do this has been a long one to mark the occasion uh, I have been Chris Thurston I've been Marsh Davis I've been, I've been Tom Francis. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> we almost had it. Oh, the opposite people. It's incredible. Like, <laughs> they've cancelled each other out. Yep. <laughs> I've actually labelled myself as Tom. No, no, no. Abort, abort, no. abort. <laughs> that, I was going to ask that, but after the recording stopped, because why the fuck is there another Tom in this room? <laughs> oh, yeah. Did you not notice that Pip changed the name to Tom in the recording? Yeah. Not right away. I noticed it like 20 minutes into the recording and I was like, do I ask about it on air or should I wait till we're done? <laughs> I forgot I'd done it and then I was confused <laughs> as well. <laughs> anyway, sorry. I'm getting in the way of the outro. Or are you getting out of the way of the intro? It's like defenestration. We don't know. <laughs> God. What? No. <laughs> we can't do another podcast. We do right know. Now. It's the outro. No, we don't know, Tom. <laughs> Please let this. The outro is the opposite of the intro. <laughs> Would the opposite of Tom Francis be Francis Tom? No, it's Philip War. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> Good God.